for the weekend. You, you know, when I'm doing this sort of job, a five-day-a-week job, you look, the weekend all be nice, relaxing, a nice quiet time with the family, maybe watch, watch a film, do a bit of reading, go to the party. It's, it's my boy's birthdays in the next couple of weeks. So we're having a joint birthday party, three and one. So we're inviting three-year-olds and one-year-olds. Uh, now, listen, I love, I love them. Of course I do, my sons. That's, there's going to be no rest there. I'm going to be more exhausted than I am right now, getting up at four o'clock every morning for this nonsense. If you've got any tips this morning on how I can, uh, I don't know, kind of maintain some control over this birthday bash at the weekend, could you give me a call? If you've thrown a birthday party for toddlers, how did it go? What did you do? I'll throw that out there. We can talk about that a bit later on. Lots coming up in the show. Some uh, light, some quite uh, serious, including two men have been found guilty of murdering two Somali teenagers in Milton Keynes. We have a look at why it's taken so long to convict them. What would make you go to a working man's club? An investigation by this programme has revealed clubs in beds, hearts and bucks are facing financial crisis. Do you go? Have you stopped going? Have you been put off going? And as you heard in the news there, 19-year-old Bunny from Bedfordshire is the star of a new TV programme tonight looking at the future of farming. How difficult is it to be a farmer in the three counties? Lots of ways to get in touch. I have to say, Facebook, very popular yesterday. Oh, it all kicked off on there. It all kicked off. You were posting up until quite recently. Do go on Facebook. It's lovely because it, I, I like to see you arguing with each other. Play nice. Don't be personal. Nothing nasty, but you can have a bit of banter. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR you can send us a text 81333 starting your text 3CR or look it's Friday let's have a chat shall we all of the phone lines are completely free so why don't you give me a call 08459 455 555 BBC Three Counties Radio Two men have been found guilty of murdering two Somali teenagers in Milton Keynes in a dispute over drugs. Mohammed Farah and Amin Ahmed Ismail were shot dead in an alleyway in Fishermead. This is the 999 emergency call made by a man in a house overlooking the alleyway. Yeah, I'm in the house and I've, I've, he sounded as though I heard a gunshot. Two gunshots and I've, there's someone laying in the um, alleyway like, and there's blood everywhere. I, I, I can't, it, it looks too graphic to be honest. Right. It looks really bad. It looks on. It looks. It, I think it's been shot in the head. There's another gunshot. Wow, you heard the gunshot. 999 calls always make me very, very uncomfortable, don't they? Well, Fuad Awali and Shamaki Abdul Qadir have been found guilty by a jury at Luton Crown Court. A third man, Yahya Haroun, has been found not guilty. Ben Gumpert from the Crown Prosecution Service explained to our reporter, Jessica Cooper, why the case had taken so long. There were three defendants. They were all blaming each other. They required a total of some 50 witnesses to come to court and in proceedings of that seriousness and that complexity it's to be expected that it's going to take some time. Obviously I have been presenting the case striving for the jury to bring in guilty verdicts and therefore professionally speaking that's a satisfying result because it's what I've been striving for. We have to leave these matters in the hands of the jury. It's, it's desperately important that we each see our role as having a defined limit. Uh, my job is to uh, receive the evidence from the police to present it 
in the most powerful and persuasive way to make sure that submissions made and evidence given by the defendants, which I believe to be untrue, is revealed as being untrue. But more than that, it isn't really proper for me to say because that's my role as a professional. Plainly, the evidence was strong and it's no surprise that the jury has brought in guilty verdicts. Obviously, the police had enough evidence to charge the third defendant, Yahya Harun, but today he's been found not guilty. Does that mean he shouldn't have been charged, or what does that mean? No, I think it's important to understand the stages through which a case against an individual goes. At the charging stage, the police, advised by the Crown Prosecution Service, have to decide whether there is a realistic prospect of conviction. It certainly doesn't mean that because somebody is not convicted in the end, that there was no realistic prospect of their being convicted at the beginning. Yahya Haroun had an ample opportunity to make a full explanation, instead of which he told what can only be described in all honesty as a pack full of lies. Uh, He's perhaps a fortunate young man that the jury have had the uh, the courage and the insight to enable them to say that just because a man is a liar, that doesn't make him a murderer. But even more than that, uh, it's important to recognise that at the end of the prosecution case, if the judge does not consider that there is adequate evidence on which a jury could convict, he will dismiss the case. That's his duty. And uh, there was no suggestion even that he should consider doing so. So no, there can be no regrets or suggestion that Yahya Haroun was wrongly prosecuted. He was correctly prosecuted. And the jury have brought in an honest verdict on the basis of the evidence they've heard. They have said that they are not sure that he is guilty. That means he is not guilty. How does this trial compare with others that you have dealt with in the past in terms of the, the seriousness of the crime? being discussed? I think it's dangerous to compare the seriousness of crimes. Uh, Different individuals are revolted in different ways by different kinds of evil behaviour. Plainly, the taking of life is a very serious matter. The deliberate taking of life is an even more serious matter. Uh, And when it's done in a callous and cold-hearted way, as it was in this case, uh, with shots being fired at point-blank range and with one of the killers, Fuad Awale, returning to the scene to administer the coup de grace. That's a shocking, disgraceful, repellent crime. And it is undoubtedly one of the most shocking cases that I have dealt with. But I'd hesitate to say that it's more serious than other murder cases. Uh, We've heard during the evidence that there were five men present in the alleyway at the times of the killings. Two of those men haven't been in court uh, they, they, they weren't charged and they haven't been present. What, where are they? What's happened to them? It wouldn't be right for me to tell you what is known and what is intended and indeed I can say that at the present time there are no firm intentions. What I can say and this is really a matter principally for the police at the present, although they would be advised by the Crown Prosecution Service, what I can say is the case is not closed. You're absolutely right, the evidence suggested very strongly that there were five men present only three have been tried and only two have been convicted. The case remains open. That was Ben Gumpert from the Crown Prosecution Service speaking to our reporter Jessica Cooper. 08459 455 555. Two questions, I guess, for you this morning. How on earth am I going to control a load of three and one year olds tomorrow? I'm genuinely quite nervous. 
And have you ever been to a working men's club? I know, I know, completely different things, but... Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, 08459 455 555. We've got a cracking report coming up later on about working men's clubs and uh, how they're all just closing down. Not all of them, but a significant number in beds, hearts and bucks. Have you ever been? I used to go um, when... I seem to remember, and I'm struggling to remember this, there was a trend when I was about 17, 18 maybe 16, for a group of us to go to working men's clubs. I don't know why. It may have been, and let's be honest, it may have been because we got served underage. That's always a distinct possibility. But I seem to remember spending quite a few nights in a working men's club in Slough. I know. Uh, I, I can't quite remember why. Maybe my memory will uh, be jogged later. But have you ever been? What do you think? Is it right that they're closing down? Are you sad to see them going? Are you up in arms about this? Or do you think, well, come on, fair play, they've had their day. And can we find the youngest person who regularly goes to a working men's club? Let's, let's set the bar. Can we find someone below 60 who regularly goes to a working men's club? Now, the scale of sexual offences carried out by Jimmy Savile will be set out in a joint report later this morning by the Metropolitan Police and the NSPCC. The allegations surfaced after he died in t- uh, 2011, aged 84. The report will say the late TV presenter assaulted children as young as 10 during nearly four decades of abuse at hospitals, prisons, schools and on BBC premises. So far, nearly 600 people have come forward with information relating to the scandal. 450 of those relate to Savile himself. Deborah Cogger says she was groped and forcibly kissed by the TV presenter when she was 14. She hopes today's report, called Giving Victims a Voice, will finally bring out the truth about Savile, which was ignored when she was a teenager. Nobody had taken any notice because it was what he did. And that is how he acted with all, all the girls all the time. And it was just allowed. Liz Ducks is a lawyer who's representing dozens of Savile's victims. Even though he can't be prosecuted in the criminal courts, for these statistics to be produced, for them to see that they are not alone, is huge validation. And it's also very important for victims uh, of abuse from uh, other organisations who see how the Savile victims have been treated, how sensitively that they've been dealt with, how we are now having a bigger debate in society about abuse, and they have felt able to report matters to the police for the first time. Although the report today marks the end of the police investigation into allegations against Savile himself, detectives working on the inquiry called Operation Utree have questioned several other people about different allegations not involving the TV presenter. Donald Findlater is from the child protection charity the Lucy Faithful Foundation. He says the publicity surrounding Jimmy Savile is also helping other victims of child abuse. Because it's been in our newspapers and on radio shows every day for the, the last three or four months, I think it maybe it served a purpose in actually just kind of galvanising the public interest in actually being part of an answer, making sure that actually each one of us knows something about the problem and is determined to play our part in keeping children safe. If all this attention actually serves that purpose in one small way, it will have helped to keep more children safe. Crown Prosecution Service will also publish a review of a decision in 2009 not to charge Savile with sexual offences after investigations by police in Surrey and Sussex. So once on Another Life on a different radio station, I said I didn't like Bob Marley or reggae. I don't, I don't really. I struggle with it. Woman phoned up and said I was a racist. Well, I don't like a genre of music and an artist. There was, there was nothing racially motivated in my dislike of reggae. I just find it really slow and ponderous. And that fat... 
pH baseline. It just it doesn't sit comfortably with me. I've tried. The same with Bowie, um, with Bob Dylan, and with Bob Marley. The three Bs, I like to call them. I don't. I just did it then. I've really worked at them and gone back to them at different stages in my life. I don't get Bowie, Bob, or who was the other one? Oh, yeah, Bob. Right. Working men's clubs across beds, hearts and bucks are facing financial crisis. The Working Men's Club and Institutions Union says that nationally the number of clubs has slumped from around 4,000 in the 1970s to just 2,000 now. One club in Bedford, the Bedford Central Club, is facing hard times and will have to close its doors next month unless they find another club to save them. Well, Barry Howden, president of the club, joins me now. Morning, Barry. Morning to you. How long have you been with the club? I've been, actually been a member 20 years. Right. And what, what the, the, have you seen numbers drop in that time? Well, what happened was we were originally the, uh, the Bedford Liberal Club and we moved to our new premises 30 years ago, which was the old post office. Um, this was a Victorian building, three storeys, and we developed the bottom, the ground floor, and we had a wonderful time for oh, 20 or 25 years. Yeah. And uh, when did things start going wrong well, then? The, things started to go wrong about five or six years ago. The, the smoking ban was the start of it. Yeah. Um, it, didn't, it didn't make a lot of difference, but it made a bit of difference. But then, of course, we then went into this um, double-dip recession... And uh, we realised that we had to downsize our club because it was far too big for what we wanted. Mm. So we had several developers come in and ideas, and we had one f- uh, firm of developers who were d- actually working on the new Bedford. Uh, and yeah. They said, look, if you give us, uh, if we give you a £1,000 a month for two years, can we have exclusivity? Because in two years' time, things will be different, we'll be able to sort it out for you, i.e. a new club or yeah. redevelop your present one. Yeah. So two years went, and... Uh, they came to us after two years, given us £24,000, yeah. and just walked away said, sorry, this recession is just as bad, oh, we can't do anything about it. Now, in this time, how taken to fit, uh, dropped by 50%, the outgoings have gone up, and uh, we are actually losing 1000 to £1,500 a month. Oh, Barry. Now, during the good times, we managed to salt money away. We don't owe anybody anything. Right. We've still got a few thousand quid. But we're calling an uh, extraordinary meeting in February for our members to put it to them what they want us to do. So it, it, one of those options that you're going to raise could well, be closing the club down? That, well, that is one of them. We really don't want to go there. What else have road. you got? What else other, other things have you got up your sleeve, then, that you could do? Well, uh, a few years ago we had an extraordinary meeting when this first started, and we suggested amalgamation with another club. Mm. But the members, who own our club, by the way, didn't want to do that, so we just shelved that. That's one option. The other one is selling the club, which we don't want to do. And, of course, anything, any idea that anybody can come up with is going to help us. But we've got about another two years left, I would think. So, Barry, on a Saturday night, yeah. how many punters have you got in? Right. I can tell you that uh, six or seven years ago, if you weren't there by 7.30, this is Friday, Saturday and Sunday, you wouldn't get a seat. Yeah. Now, we used to have 200, we now we're down to about 50 to 75. Oh, dear. Now, the classic was this year, On uh, we have a grand draw. Tickets are sold for this grand Christmas draw from September onwards with a yeah. really big night for the club. Yeah. And if you weren't there by 7.30, you wouldn't get a seat. That's it, you're out. This year, less than 20 people turned up. Oh, Barry. So, that is getting sort of out of hand now. I mean, for instance, the outgoings, like on New Year's Eve, the group we had, which was a duo, was £700. What? £700. For a duo? duo. Yeah. I'm in the wrong business. I'm totally I mean, in the now, wrong business. When you think to take over the bar, you've got to take at least 
well, uh, £2,000 to cover that. So aren't the acts, we've got some acts coming on later, we'll have a word of them, aren't they kind of lowering their prices then? Because if there well, are less and less clubs, then... We, yeah, we do have an entertainment secretary, and he does try his hardest, but, uh, I mean, they're having a hard time as well, aren't they? I'll come and do you a night for 400 quid. No, well... well <laughs> no! <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, every Saturday it's at least 250, 300 pounds. Oh, blimey, Barry. Yeah, we have an experiment New Year's Eve, which yeah. is usually our harvest, that's the night when all the members come out of the woodwork who we haven't seen all the year round. Yeah. Um, we tried an experiment, the charging at the door. That didn't go down very well with the members, but we managed to retrieve about half of the cost of the band, but... Uh, you obviously care very passionately about this well, club, I don't do. you, Barry? Well, I do. I was president seven years ago, and, and I've seen things how they used to be and how they are now. Mm. I mean, little things like fruit machines. Seven years ago, you used to take £50,000 a year profit. Now they make about tw- 10 or 12. I- excuse me? 50 grand profit on oh, a yeah, gambler? Very good. We have some very good customers on that. <laughs> and, like, now, it's, it's, it's gone the other way. Barry, listen, uh, it genuinely makes me sad to, to, to hear stories like this, because I, I think working men's clubs are kind of, um... Uh, they're an important part of our culture and our heritage, and it's really easy to be sniffy and snooty and laugh at them, but uh, they bring a lot of pleasure to a lot of people. And uh, hearing that uh, makes me sad. That's Barry Howden, who is the president of the Bedford Central Club. Have you, do you go to working men's clubs? I'm guessing we've got a few people listening who, who probably do. Uh, part of me thinks maybe it's the age thing. It's perceived as being an old man's night out. Can we find anyone? Let's start, let's keep the bar quite high. Can we find anyone under the age of 60 who's been to a working men's club? And that's your latest news in sport. More from me at seven o'clock. Now, Catherine Boyle. Yes. You're from up, up, up <laughs> aren't you? You're from Oop-Nuth. Yes. Um, and they uh, do loads of silly things that we think are a little bit outdated. For example... You mean proper things. Go on, anyway. Yeah. For example, going to working men's clubs. Yes. Do, w- w- do you well, not everyone, but my, my family in particular are quite keen well, on, on their local uh, conservative club. Right. Come on. So, w- <laughs> w- have you been to one? Re- I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, I have. Yeah, we have all the family dues there. Are you going to go to one soon? Yes, I am. Next Re- month. Really? My cousin's having a party. Uh, we got an invitation with the cast of Shameless on the front saying, we're having a party. But so. the cast of Shameless won't be there. They might. <laughs> and what's, what's the actor going to see? Um, it's going to be an adult entertainment uh, on the invitation. It put very, very uh, subtly, no kids invited. <laughs> <laughs> on FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adults. That's right, that's right. Catherine Wall, the newsreader on BBC Three Counties Radio. The BBC is going to see some adult entertainment. Oop north. Lots coming up in the next 30 minutes of the show, including we look at what the future holds for young farmers in Bedfordshire. And the film Les Miserables opens at the cinema today. Part of it was filmed here in the Three Counties. Oh, it's exciting, isn't it? Yes, it is. I'll reveal where in the next 20 minutes. Lots of things to talk about, including my boy's going to be three and one this month and we're throwing a joint birthday party tomorrow. And it suddenly dawned on me, we're throwing a joint birthday party. There are going to be loads of three and one-year-olds there. How on earth do I keep control over what could be hell? Barbara's in Stevenage. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning. I'm going to give you some trade secrets. Be, you know, are you a child? Bit... No, I'm an entertainer. Oh, even with your spooky voice. Even my spooky voice. Okay. Right. That doesn't but... scare children. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just but... thought it might do. First of all, yes. make an area for them, just one room, yeah. okay, right? Yeah. And clear all the toys out from that room. Now, everybody thinks you should put toys in. Yeah. Wrong thing. Clear That's them all out because, A, they get broken, B, they fight over them. If yeah. you've got large ones, they run over the little ones. Yes, they do. 
Right. So what are they going to do in this room? You should be right. them in there. No, 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 no. You get some mums, but you get some pencils and papers to start with. So oh. when they come in, yeah. you give them a pencil and paper and tell them to draw something, and you give them two or three lots of paper so uh, that you uh, give them a. Uh, a Pacific thing to draw. Like a, I don't know, a shoe... A dinosaur. A dinosaur or, or a, 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 some wood. Or, yeah, that's yeah, it. Draw Something some wood. like that, right? right. Yeah. Then you, when you've got them all in, because they come in dribs and drabs, yeah. they normally do, you get them to do some little dancing games, uh, some little oh. jumping up and down games. Oh, like sleep, sleeping do, lions and things. Ah. And, and um, sleeping bunnies. That's it. And then you do a small parcel, parcel. But, listen, it's easier to do it with elastic bands. What, sorry? Elastic bands. No, you do it in newspaper. No, you put the elastic bands around the newspaper. No, Barbara, that's not how you do pass the parcel. You sellotape it. No, because it, it's c- complicated for the kids. Pass the parcel's not complicated. Actually, if you use crepe paper, it's better. Beg your pardon, we'll use excellent paper. Oh, I see what you mean. Sorry, I no, do apologise. No, because you can colour drawing... code it. I, I want this party to be amazing. A party? What, what did you... So, so um, uh, Arthur, what did you do at um, uh, uh, Uncle Ian's party? We, did, we drew a dinosaur and some wood, and then they had some crepe paper that was held together with elastic bands. Yeah, but Ooh, that's a part of the parcel. Again. Yeah. No, it works all the so time. So, are you a children's entertainer? Uh-huh. Are you sure you've not caught me up before telling me you were a witch? Oh, I've done that before as well. I'm all, I'm all sorts of things. We'll leave it there. Would you have a witch as a children's entertainer at your party? I don't know about that. Thank you, Barbara. Excellent advice. Apart from the drawing and the past the parcel. I flippin' love the Beatles. Beatles weekend in my house, I've decided. Beatles weekend. Although my boy, my oldest boy, who's going to be three, I'm sorry to keep banging on about it, but when you're a parent, it's like, it's what you do, isn't it? Your life, it disappears and you just talk about your kids. Uh, he loves, he loves the monkeys. Now, that's not because of me. I've not made him love the monkeys. That's obviously his own choice. Yes, it's all that gets played in the car and around the house. He knows all the words of Adrian Believer and the theme tune and some obscure album tracks as well. That's my boy. You can forget your DNA tests. That's good enough for me. Now, if you watch First Time Farmers on Channel 4 tonight, you'll see a 19-year-old from Bedfordshire. Bunny Seer is one of the stars of the programme, which looks at the realities of life for the next generation of farmers. We'll be speaking to her a bit later on in the show. Well, our reporter, Serena Farrow, went to Shuttleworth College in Biggleswade, which runs courses in agriculture, to find out why young people there are keen to be farmers. come off a family farm, so I wanted to do it for quite a long time kind of in your blood yeah i do enjoy it and it's good fun as well well i like doing hands-on sort of you're good with your hands yes i can't do anything sitting down work like office work or anything i'm not very good but i like doing practical stuff outdoors i don't really like livestock much yeah i like driving the tractors it is normally like they say manual men's work yeah they say it's men's work but i think women can take over as well worked on a farm for three years just doing harvest work and livestock work. Hopefully I'll become a livestock manager when I'm older. Uh, pretty much only works with livestock, cattle and sheep. And then there's the arable side, so all the land work and all the cultivations and harvest and stuff like that. And you come from a farming background? No, I don't, but I've kind of liked it since I was quite young. Isn't it difficult, though, being an outsider coming into it? Not really, because... There's only a few actual people who own a farm on the course, so there's more people who don't own a farm than people who do own a farm, so it's quite good. I've come from a sort of farming background, and my auntie owns a small pig farm, and I 
just absolutely love livestock. I want to be like a livestock manager or something like that. What would be the advice to anybody you think who wants to become a farmer? Go round to the local farmers, like ask for work experience or anything over harvest. They're livestock, then ask for lambing. All my friends liked it. Coming from a farming background, there's so many jobs that you need to be doing. A lot of them have been asking, have you got any jobs going? Because it's just looking for work at the moment as there's nothing around. But there's a fair bit of farming. Here's something that we like to bounce all over the place, from farming to Les Miserables. The film version of the hit musical opens today, boasting stars such as Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe, Anne Hathaway, Sasha Baron Cohen and Helena Bonham Carter. It's been nominated for seven Oscars and the film has got a local connection. Our rubbish musical correspondent Justin Dealey can tell... <laughs> I've seen the play, Justin. It didn't Have do you, anything for me. Do you know what? I've not spoken to anybody who's been to it and they said, you know what? You must go and see this. You, you, you will love it. Do you know any of the songs from it? Uh, no, not really. No. I dreamed a dream of times gone by when hope Hopes were high and life worth living. Well, if that's an audition yeah. for the musical, I'm not yeah. going. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it, but people love it, don't they? Yeah, do you know what? Record-breaking, it's yep. been shown in countries right the way around the world, in, in different languages. It's a record-breaking musical. Yep. Will it work, though, film-wise? You're not going to be going, are you? Well, I, I saw a trailer for it, for, and uh, to be honest, I thought it looked very, very impressive. Mm. It, lo- it did look quite amazing. Yes. Uh, my mum said to me yesterday, can you take me to the cinema next week? Uh, let me just check my diary, mum. Uh, I'll see if I can fit you in. But uh, there is a local connection. That yeah. local connection is Ashridge in Hertfordshire. Oh. I don't know whether you've been there, Ian, but it's an amazing place. No, I've not. Absolutely beautiful. I was there yesterday. I've been talking to Lawrence Trowbridge. What a cool title. He is the lead ranger at the Ashridge Estate. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm just a breakfast host. And he's been telling me how they got involved in this new film. Yeah, well, we were approached by the, the production company to film Les Miserables at Ashridge in a very special area called Frisden Beaches, which is a, a very pretty area of beech trees on the Ashridge estate. And uh, the first interesting thing was that it was the middle of summer and they wanted to uh, make it look like it was winter, which is a, a regular request from the film crew. So uh, basically the, a snow effect um, was uh, proposed, which was quite an interesting yeah. thing to manage. I um, can well imagine. In terms of stars, we'll come back to the snow in a second, but in terms of stars, yeah. Hugh Jackman was here. Yeah, he was. Um, a very very small amount of um, filming, but yeah, he, he came along to Ashridge and there was a scene where he was with a, a small girl. I don't I don't know the story particularly well, but that was a scene in the snow in the in the beautiful woodland at Ashridge. We've got a picture here of Hugh. Uh, just for the benefit of our listeners, he is coming out of the sea. He is looking ripped. He's a handsome man, so I presume the ladies at Ashridge got very excited about Hugh Jackman being here. The ladies that I know of, uh, there's only a few of them in our team actually but yeah yeah they were quite excited yeah you can take that photograph with you oh that's great oh, I'll, give it, I'll give it to them he's <laughs> <Give it laughs> a handsome fellow he is a handsome man uh, so the snow as you mentioned it was in the summer very very hot how long did it take to to create the snow for that small scene in this film the snow effect has to be very carefully managed and we look after a very special site here it's a site of special scientific interest so any of these requests we have to very carefully manage uh, and and consider 
but it took uh, almost a day to put down the special effect and it was something that we had to really carefully consider and agree with like, the government body for nature conservation mm. natural England yeah when, when, once all that's done and we're happy with things you know things can go ahead but it takes quite a while to put these things in place you know Justin you're still there I'm still here yeah I'm surprised you don't like Les Mis because you're you're oh, quite yeah. camp really yeah. aren't you am I am well I you were telling me the other, on your, your, your um, recent break you were telling me um, we were talking about um, uh, Jersey Boys and we yeah. both agreed Jersey Boys brilliant fantastic mm. wonderful mm. and then you went oh yeah and I went and saw the uh, Viva Forever the Spice Girls musical oh, it was wonderful well this is it because it's had terrible reviews and I went oh was it, was it a bit rubbish you went oh no I loved it no I did I went in my heels I went in my Jerry Hallowell dress <laughs> I sang all the songs it was great but I think that tells you what I'm into in the West End you know when you go and watch a West End yep. show it's got to be the songs that you know yep. the songs that you love all the way through otherwise you're sitting there and they're saying oh look th- th- there's a nice desk over there oh what a love desk and it's a load of old nonsense so i want the songs that i know and i love <laughs> yeah that's right you just said justin dealey improvising a song about a lovely desk on bbc three counties radio thank you justin that's really made me chuckle oh what a lovely desk but let's get the latest weather now with leg warmer wearing elizabeth Rosini. Hello, very good morning to you. Yes, I've got the leg warmers on today. That's how cold it is. It's going to stay cold for today, the rest of the weekend, and indeed into next week too. That's forecast for now. Have you finished now? Yes. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. How are your leg warmers? Are they good? Uh, yeah, they're black. Um, I was just telling your producer that actually I quite like luminous ones with some roller skates. <laughs> Has everyone gone absolutely mental this morning? What on earth is going on with my team? Everyone's got Friday fever. Hey, listen, if you're in a band or you're a singer or you're a musician or whatever and you want to get your music on the radio, a.k.a. BBC uh, Three Counties, then you could do. Uh, Upload your best tracks to bbc.co.uk forward slash introducing. You could bag yourself, this is exciting, look, not only uh, airplay, but a slot on the introducing festival stages or in one of our sessions. The show has moved, not Friday nights anymore, no, 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 it's Saturday nights, 8pm, prime slot. Prime slot. Everyone's the Saturday night 8pm gig. And you can hear music like this. This is a song from James Bay from Hitchin, and it's called When We Were On Fire. I don't know why he's singing in an American accent. That's fine. Maybe he's an American. But that's, I like that. That's good. That's James Bay from Hitchin. Lucky cares what an old man like me thinks. But... Well done, James. Keep at it. Good work there. When we're on fire. Hear more music from Beds, Hearts and Bucks with Gareth Lloyd on BBC Introducing Saturday evenings from 8 o'clock. 08459 455 555 is the phone number if you want to give us a call. Talking working men's clubs uh, and tips for um, uh, children's parties. We've got a children's party tomorrow for three and one-year-olds. Now, people living on Wixom's in Bedfordshire. We sp- isn't it funny, we spoke about this the other day, and I drove past it on um, Wednesday, I think. Say, they'll fight plans for a landfill on their doorstep. It forms part of a wider waste management facility being suggested for the old clay pits just outside Bedford. Hundreds of people have objected, and will today hand in their concerns to the council. Craig was one of the first residents to move on to Wixom's three years ago. To be fair, I'm absolutely disgusted. I know a lot of the res- all the residents are, well, I'll say a lot, it's not fair to say everyone, but I'm sure more than not. We knew nothing about it when we moved into a village. Neither have most of the people that have moved here. They're calling it Elstow South. However, the site is in Wixom's. It's going to be 600 metres from where we live at the moment. 
and there's going to be new houses built that are going to be 30 metres away. You know, with the plans including the household waste site, you're going to get hundreds of more vehicles about. The whole idea was this was for families, it's made for children, yet what they want to do now is bring in a lot more vehicles, that's going to create a lot more pollution. One of the MPs has already stated the proposal here is to take waste from London. Surely Wixom's is not the dumping ground of the country. There's got to be other more suitable places. It will break Wixom's. You know, it's totally contradicting what we've been promised in. And I know as much as anyone, I'm fuming. You know, I've brought my daughter here for a new community. I've not brought her here to live next to a landfill site. My name is Letitia Royston-White, and I've lived here nearly three years. Where I'm living, we didn't even receive any documentation, no, um, no correspondence from the council. Um, and we weren't aware of it. The first we became aware of it was beginning of November. Um, so that's really quite, and it's very, very distressing indeed. It's a um, massive worry. I cannot see if we have a large incinerator, and it's a, a very large incinerator in Stuartby, how there can be any um, justification having landfill here as well. But it does feel that Midbeds is getting somewhat blighted by um, huge waste management um, issues. Well, FCC Environment, the people behind the plans weren't available this morning, but they've given us a statement which says, our plans to develop an integrated waste management plant at Elstow South are designed to provide a much-needed facility to treat commercial and industrial waste. The operation will ensure that waste materials delivered to the site are recycled, and where this is not possible, the material will be further processed to create a fuel. Our plans provide a suitable method of treating waste in a suitable manner. Now, speaking of treating waste, got a load of kids tomorrow coming round for a third and first birthday party. What on earth am I going to do, April? Get the grandmas involved. Oh, yes. When you say get them involved, do you mean just palm it off? No, what happened, uh, for the last three years, uh, I've had birthday party for my son and his friend, because their yes. birthdays are very close. How, and how old are these, these? Well, the next birthday, they'll be four. Okay, okay. So what we did was we hired a village hall, yeah. and then we just got the grandmas involved. Yeah. And actually, the grandmas are amazing at yeah. organising kids, because they've got years of experience. Haven't they just... Although I'm probably cheating with mine, because she's a retired primary school teacher. Well, she's got even more years of experience there. My, is Yaya isn't? She's, well, she, she's very good with them, so uh, yes, I'll get her to do some of it. But, um, in fairness, I know, what you've, I know the pain you're going through. Yeah, I'm, going through well, you, I'm, I'm worried about the pain I'm going to be going through tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, um, and uh, this year we've decided we're going to do a joint birthday party at one of those fun factory-type places. Yeah. Do you do... Because uh, uh, four's a little bit older. Are, are they at that age when, when some, one of his friends has a birthday party, you can turn up, drop, the, you drop your son off, and then you disappear for two hours? Definitely f- at four, yeah. I would say yes, yeah. so I can get away with it. I mean, that's why we did, you know, the village hall. I'd turn up with a big van full of toys. Yeah. My friend Janet should turn up with a big van full of toys. We just put ba- Barbara, toys in the Barbara, middle. the witch stroke children's entertainer, said, "Don't give them toys." No, give them toys. And and um, fizzy, it's difficult pop? for you because you've got a one and a three. Yeah, it's that mix, you see. Oh, can we just lock them in a room for an hour with some fizzy pop and, and just see what happens? No, because otherwise the chocolate would be all over the floor. That's disappointing. That's really disappointing. So, April, excellent advice. Yes, grandparents will definitely be involved. I think we are having it in a hall somewhere, so that makes it easier. BBC Three Counties Radio. First for news. you got kids, innit? Yes. What do you do at parties? I lock them in the garden. They were born in the summer. I'm not locking my children in the garden. It could snow this weekend. What? 
terrible advice. What's happened to everybody who's working on this show? Elizabeth Rossini, Justin Dealey, and now Catherine Boyle have all gone mental. Very, very alarming. Lots coming up between now and nine this morning. If you want to take part, I'll give you the contact details in a minute. Some of it quite light-hearted, light-hearted some of it a little bit serious, including... Two men have been convicted of murdering two teenagers who were shot in a drug turf row in Milton Keynes. We look at what can be done to tackle problems with drugs in Milton Keynes. What would you make? Uh, what would make you sorry? Go to a working man's club. An investigation by this program has revealed clubs in beds, hearts, and bucks are facing financial crisis. Well, I'll be speaking to a comedian from Cody Cot to find out why he thinks they've gone downhill. And how would you feel if you moved into an area? And then a few weeks later, you found out a landfill site could be built on your doorstep. I'd imagine you'd be pretty upset, wouldn't you? Well, that's what's happened to residents of Wixom's in Bedfordshire. They're fuming. I'll be speaking to one of them in the next hour. If you want to get in touch, and I'm still looking for your tips on how on earth I can survive this children's party tomorrow, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text 3C. I'll put your name on it as well. And uh, give us a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Two men have been found guilty of murdering two Somali teenagers in Milton Keynes in a dispute over drugs. Mohamed Farah and Amin Ahmed Ishmael were shot dead in an alleyway in Fishermead. Fuad Awali and Shamaki Abdul Qadir have both uh, been found guilty by jury at Luton Crown Court. A third man, Yahya Haroun, has been found not guilty. Tony Fisher reports on what happened. This report starts with a graphic 999 call made by a resident on the night of the shootings. Yeah, I'm in the house and I've, I've, it sounded as though I heard a gunshot. Two gunshots, and I've, there's someone laying in the um, alleyway, like, and there's blood everywhere. I, I, I can't, it, it looks too graphic, to be honest. Right. It looks really bad. It looks, on, it looks it, I think it's been shot in the head. There's another gunshot. The heart-stopping moment when a resident whose house overlooked the alleyway rang 999 and described hearing the gunshots. He wasn't the only witness. Unfortunately, this is one of the worst estates or the not-so-good estate. The kids are out late at night causing trouble, being loud, which is what I thought was going on, to be fair. I thought it was just the kids messing about again. I heard the the shooting, yeah, I did, yeah. Drugs are uh, are the problem uh, here, and I suppose shooting is is something that uh, goes with the territory. If if you're into drugs, you're going to get shootings. I don't think there's any argument about that. So... Yes, you've got to put up with it. Yeah, I've been living here for over 10 years now, and though people keep on saying fishing meat is a bad area, it's a bad area, but thing of this sort has never happened. That's a view which is shared by the investigating officer in the case, Detective Superintendent Rob Mason. It's a very, very significant case. This is such an unusual killing to have two shootings in this manner. I can't recall the last time we've had anything like this. The murders, which stemmed from a dispute over drug turf, seem to result in a divide within the community in Fishmead. Isabella Fraser was one of the local councillors at the time. Obviously the Somali community appear to be dissatisfied with what has happened. The endemic white community are concerned. I think that the words that the, the words name has been brought into disrepute. It's not a bad word. It has problems, but it's not a bad word. Are you concerned that there might become a a bit of a a, a divide between the sort of white community 
and the, the black community or the Somali community? I think I am concerned. I am concerned. It's, it's almost happening now, and I am concerned. Fortunately, although tensions did run high at the time, things did calm down a little, especially once the arrests were made and the trial was underway. However, nothing can be done to bring back the lives of two teenagers who were killed in an execution-style murder. Gabriel Farah is the elder brother of one of the victims, Mohammed. This is shocking news. We are all, we are still, I'm still sometimes asking myself, is this a dream? Is this the dream? When is it due to, to be waked up? We can't, we can't, like, go back to our lives. Mohammed's mother, Fadumo Abdi, says her son did not deserve to be killed. I was expecting that my son bury me. I have to expect that I have to bury my son. So it's really heartbreaking. He was a polite, he was ambitious, he wanted to study. He was a really good boy. Every mother, you are mothers, you know how I feel. That's Tony Fisher reporting there. Well, Professor John Pitts is from the Centre for the Study of Crime at the University of Bedfordshire. Good morning, John. Good morning. You hear about drug turf wars and things like that in the Bronx and L.A. and America. It's not that normal for somewhere like Milton Keynes, is it? No, it's extremely unusual. And, and, and also within the Somali community, that's, that's more or less unheard of, I think. How difficult are drug wars or turf wars like this to tackle? I think they're very difficult because um, the drugs business, you know, the, the, both, both the customers and the people selling the drugs, uh, don't want to be known, don't want to be caught. Very few people um, who are in a dispute about drugs would ever go to the police for obvious reasons. So, um, uh, yeah, they, 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 they are difficult to police. I think um, most of the work I've done has been in London. I think um, where, uh, where inroads have been made by the police tends to be based on informants or, um, or, or, or yes, informants who may be embedded in, in, in the gang or in the community. But very difficult, yeah. We heard in uh, that report from uh, Tony from different um, members of the different communities within Fishermead. What impact can something have uh, like this have on community tensions? Well, it, I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's difficult to say, isn't it? If... If this, represent, if this was a feud between two groups or two different clans within the community, it could exacerbate that. I know uh, one of the problems that we've certainly had in, in, in the major cities has been when a dispute uh, about drugs has, has gone off like this, then you will have a sudden rise in tit-for-tat, tit-for-tat violence, tit-for-tat shootings. And um, in, in certain, certain uh, cities, of course, you now have mediation teams who pick up, uh, pick up intelligence about this and try to mediate between the groups before, uh, b- b- before it gets, you know, before it, it does turn, turn into violence. There can often be a lot of resentment, uh, a mistrust of the police. Is it ever possible to gain the trust of members of a community who, who might be reluctant to come forward? Yes, I think, I think it is, and I think I've seen it happen. I've done, done some work in Manchester recently, and I think the... Um, the, 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 the Excalibur team there, which is concerned with um, gangs and, 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 and some drug-related violence, um, has been very successful, made good relationships with the community, and they've seen the number of firearms discharges drop from or somewhere in the area of 160 uh, five years ago to none in the last 18 months. So they've been, they've been very, very effective. But they've been they're out every night, they're meeting people, they're confronting young people on the streets if they suspect them, and they're also in contact with families. 
Professor John Pitts from the uh, Centre for the Study of Crime at the University of Bedfordshire. Thank you very much indeed. Call 08459 Officer is first phone hacking conviction. Detective faces jail for trying to sell information to the news of the world. There's a picture, two stories about newspaper uh, movies on the front page. Spielberg's Lincoln leads patriotic Oscars charge. I sat through the first 15 minutes of Lincoln. I only just found out it's 150 minutes long. I'm glad, I know, that's too, it's too long. I'm glad I left after 15 minutes. Very, very tedious. Uh, and then there's a picture of U.S. actor Kerry Washington uh, for the premiere in London for the premiere of Quentin Tarantino's Oscar-nominated Django Unchained. My friend Eloise went to see Django Unchained. She went to see it twice. She liked it that much. And the second time, she had these people talking behind her. She said, oh, what's, what's, what's so she sat patiently. And then she turned around to shush them. It was Quentin Tarantino and his mate. They sat behind him watching the Quentin Tarantino film. Isn't that weird? How cool would that be? Could you shut... Oh, hi, Quentin. Sorry, yeah, you carry on. I still have time to shut up. To be honest, let's have a quick look at a couple more. Then we'll uh, we'll, we'll go to Paul in Bletchley, who's uh, on the phone. The Daily Telegraph: the abortion of unwanted girls taking place in the UK. Illegal abortion on the grounds of gender may be taking place in Britain. Uh, there's Anne Hathaway, who's in uh, Les Mis that we were talking about earlier on, um, and the Royal Opera House tries to seduce a younger audience. Cheaper tickets. That's all you need. It's great in the Royal Opera House. Cheaper tickets. That's all you need. One more. Uh, the Times. Um, there's a girl holding uh, a, a baby chicken as a telephone. There really is. <laughs> Beyond that, I can say no more. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Paul is in Bletchley. Morning, Paul. <coughs> oh, good morning, Ian. How are you? <clears throat> yeah, I'm good. Is your throat nice and clear? <laughs> a little bit. You do good for you. Yeah, do you do you go to working men's clubs? I do belong to Bletchley Fenny Stratford Club. I must admit, lately I haven't been down there too often. But oh. um, when my son was before he's married, we was going to play snooker there quite a bit. But um, but I think the chap from Bedford, the secretary, hit it on the head when he yep. said that the fruit machines, um, you know, I think the take was something like £50,000 50 a grand year. 50 grand a year, a year profit, down yes. to about 10 grand. Yes, I think it's the um, roulette machines in the bookies that have killed this. Right. Um, and, you know, presumably the, the percentage take on the roulettes is much smaller than the fruit machines. Yeah. Um, I mean, my daughter lives in Australia, and in there, they, the RSL clubs, that's the uh, re- returned... Um, servicemen league clubs they, uh-huh. they, they're almost totally funded by the pokies as they call them the what uh, it, you know the, even the, the beer the, stuff well, what, what, what are they called <laughs> well pokies or slots and things well, the, like the, that the, the gamblers are called the pokies <laughs> no no the machines the machine the fruit machines yeah <laughs> oh i like that one-armed bandit's a pokey i'm having that yeah paul we were looking for we're trying to find the youngest person that goes to working men's club i've set the bar at 60 are you below 60 sir i'm not no oh no, how, no, how old are you got very how, how old are you 67. <laughs> really? You've got a very young man's voice. A lot of people say that, yeah. It's all <laughs> very sparky at this time of the week. When was the last time you went to your club, then? Well, I went in to renew the membership, actually, about last week, but unfortunately the uh, the cards hadn't come through from the printers, oh. so um, I'll, I'll no doubt be going this weekend, probably just... And how much it. does the membership cost? It's, um, well, for myself, it's, um, I think it's £10 or £5. Oh, that's I r- think a year? Yeah, I think the initial, mm. when you join initially, it might be 15 or 20, and yeah. then after that, it goes down to £10 a and year. And what, what acts do you get down there? What turns? Uh, well, on the Saturday night, they have, um, you know, g- groups sometimes, and um, discos, and yeah. uh, bingo, I think, on a Sunday night, at least mm. they used to, I haven't been there, been there down there for a little C- while. Comedians? But. 
I think sometimes. Mag- yeah, they magicians? Have entertainment, they have entertainment nights. And, Transvestites? Uh, sorry? Magicians? <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, they do have children's. Yeah, days, I'll you know, afternoons and parties and things like that. And he's referring to the magicians. I like a bit of magic. Uh, Paul, listen, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555. I like a bit of magic. I'm a big fan of magic, actually. Oh, I love a good magician. We should get a magician on the show one day. I'd, I'll describe it. It'll be fine. It'll be just for me. Now, working men's clubs across beds, hearts and bucks are facing financial crisis. The Working Men's Club and Institutions Union says that nationally, the number of clubs has slumped from around 4,000 in the 1970s to just around 2,000 now. Well, our reporter, Sophie Solaria has been down to meet some of the club members uh, of the Dunstable Conservative Club to find out how things have changed there over the years. <laughs> Cheers. So, sir, how long have you been coming to Dunstable Conservative Club? Well, as long as been able to drink virtually, yes. On and off about, uh, say, 40 years. 74 I joined and it's very, very strict. Tell me what you had to wear, Peter. A tie, at least. I feel underdressed. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. In them days, you wouldn't have got in here with a pair of jeans on. No, yeah, no way. Jeans no way. You had to be dressed properly. How busy was it in here? Very busy. Very busy. So this section that you're sitting on now, just around the second bar, I think, in the club, um, there's, oh, about half a dozen of you. Would you have been able to have got a seat here in the corner? Uh, no, would not, no. No, in those days, it was a lot of old age pensioners in here. Sadly, most of them have passed on. What about the younger generation, though? Are they coming through the door? Not really, <laughs> no. <laughs> youngsters today are not club-orientated. You ain't got no youngsters, you ain't got no future. How are you going to get them through the door? Now, that... <laughs> I would not know. That's a million-dollar question. question. <laughs> the young people are the future. Yeah, it's, it's like the modern shopping centres. If you haven't got younger people shopping in your local community, the community dies and they're shopping online. What's the answer? I don't know. Well, we do have entertainments on Saturdays. You have entertainment? What kind of entertainment well, do you have? All sorts of entertainments. In that front bar. We get singers in there. Uh, we have had discos, but I love our discos, but we do have them now and again. Yeah? Not all that often. And you do the bingo, George? Oh, yes, I do the bingo on a Friday night. Bingo on a Friday? <laughs> that should get them in, shouldn't it? There's no buses down at night time. You can't get buses down. So you no. can't get no the older people out at night. So you can't get down. So you you need some buses here, some local transport, getting people in, getting those doors open. What will happen if you can't get that younger generation through those doors? Well, it'll eventually die, won't it? It'll die. Every big company had their own social club years ago, and they were all well attended. Now, the big companies have gone out of Dunstable, and... There's only about three clubs left in Dunstable. Well, that's our reporter, Sophie Solaria there. Jo- joining us now is club comedian Johnny Tate from Cody Cotton in Hertfordshire. Morning, Johnny. Good morning, how are you? I'm fine. I'm, I was saying, are you normally up this time of the morning? or is, what's... Only if I haven't gone to bed yet. Yeah, that's what we like. Yeah. How long, w- without being rude, you look, like a, you look like a seasoned professional. You mean I look old? <laughs> I, didn't say, I, I, didn't say, I didn't say anything like that at all. How long have you been working on the, the club circuit? 36 years. Really? 36 years this year, yeah. And what changes have you noticed? 
They're falling off. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't do as much club work as I used to do. I'm still doing the holiday parks, the military bases, mm. the after-dinner speaking at the golf clubs and the rugby clubs. You, you have a great life. You get flown out to Greece and Egypt to do gigs and stuff. You're, you're living the dream, aren't you? Oh, it's great. Yeah, the old flybacks. You fly out, have a few days in Egypt, do a couple of shows and fly back it's again. A, it's, it's a tough life. Bad. But the working men's clubs, they're, they're kind of, they're on their way out, are they? It's a shame, because for years they've been the backbone in the entertainment industry. Mm. Uh, I, I strongly believe what they're doing wrong is they've not tried to attract younger membership. Mm. Um, if you get the youngsters in, yeah. the youngsters still enjoy what a 60-year-old will enjoy. I mean, when I work a club where there's a lot of youngsters, I'll do it and... At the end of the gig, I'll be at the side flogging my DVDs. Yeah. And the youngers will go, Oh, mate, that were wicked. You were well funny. <laughs> and the youngsters like the old 60s music as well. Yeah. So there's no reason why you can't bring young people but then why in. Aren't the, uh, why aren't the young people going in? Is it because they think it's all cloth caps and pints and mild and uh, and it's an old person's thing? Exactly. That's how do you change that image then? Well, get out there. Get out on the streets and sell. Mm. I mean, I've got a show going on Sunday at the Campus West Theatre in Wedding Garden City called mm. The Ass That Rock Blood. Mm. And I'm attracting a younger audience by having a young cast... The age group ranges from 18 to 50, mm. but the average age is probably about 27. Yeah. Getting them to dress up in all their gothic gear and saying, come on, this is a party. Mm. And that's the publicity that we've been putting in the local papers and that. Now, why can't the working men's clubs go, come on, we've got a comedian, we've got a great old Beatles tribute band. Mm. Get dressed up in the gear, come and join us. But is it because younger people, listen to me, the, young, the kids, if they want to go and see a comedian, they'll go to a comedy club. Because there's comedy clubs everywhere now. Every room above a pub is a comedy club. So they'll go and see that. Or if they want to go and see a band, they'll go to a specific music venue. The thought of going somewhere that kind of does everything that doesn't seem so appealing, I don't think, anymore. Well, why not support your local club? I mean, I went in my local pub, the Goat in Codicut, last night, mm. and there was an open mic night. There were singers, mm. musicians, and all sorts going on. Lots of young people, yeah. fun enough. The majority of the people in the club apart from the landlords, Graham and Brenda, were actually younger than me. Now, I can do a gig in a working men's club and everybody will be older than me. Wow, that is old. Still entertainment, yeah. still across the board. It's just, I think you, you hit the nail on the edge. You've got to get away with that image of this is only for old people. Is it all, Listen, I've not been to a working men's club since I was about 17. Uh, I mean, 18. Uh, is it all... <laughs> <laughs> I You're not going to admit that you were drinking I, at 17. I don't, I don't know what you mean. 14. No, not at all. What, is, is it all kind of like mother-in-law gags and, and stuff like that still? No, not at all. No, we go right across the board. I mean, yep. we do stuff to appeal to youngsters as well. And we do the daft stuff. No, honestly, and banter with the audience. A lot of when I do working men's clubs, I'll banter with the audience more so than when I do theatres. Yeah. Let's have a word with Holly Coombe. Holly Coombe is a, a columnist for feminist website The F Word. Morning, Holly. Uh, good morning, Ian. What's your opinion on, on the stereotypical working men's club? Um, well, obviously the stereotypical working men's club, um, I had quite an image of it in my mind of sort of the mo associating it with mother-in-law jokes and excluding women and all guys. But as I sort of looked it up, I mean, obviously that did exist years ago, but mm. now it seems that a lot of working men's clubs are actually trying to sort of move forward and some of them have become quite trendy gig venues, that sort of thing. But that kind of got me thinking about, is this a kind of gentrification of old working men's clubs? And actually, while there was never an excuse for the sexism and excluding women wasn't right you know is it that there isn't somewhere for for people to go and just have a pipe you know like the thing you were saying about um cloth caps well there's nothing wrong with that 
you know, that whole sort of image of sort well, of, you know, working people, no, you know, having the, somewhere to, yeah. I wouldn't say in the slightest, but I, but I, mm. I would imagine that the, 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 that would possibly put off mm. younger people and younger it, women yeah. as well. Why would a young woman in her 20s want to go to a working men's club? Well, I mean, the, the proof is in the name, I suppose, because, I mean, obviously calling it a working men's club, that that is somewhat excluding. But, you know, if only that, I mean, I suppose I'm sort of looking into a kind of utopia, but if there was an equivalent that hadn't excluded women in the first place, I don't, I don't think there would be anything wrong with that. It would be just a different kind of venue of many. And obviously older people do want somewhere to socialise as well. So, yep. oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. but, I mean, obviously it's really great that some of them are turning into these trendy venues yeah. and they are bringing people through the door. It's Johnny, just a case of... Yeah, uh, Holly, they won't let me join the Women's Institute. Why is that? <laughs> Sounds very I mean, sexist to me. The, old, the Women's Institute, obviously, is a very old institution as well, and I've never been a part of it, so I couldn't speak for them. But, I mean, to sort of think about some of the more modern groups that come together and sort of women only or, or various other oppressed groups, obviously it's quite different having an activist group and a group of people who haven't been represented getting together than it is to have a very old-school sort of environment that's all men or, or all white people or, you know, take your pick from various, you know, variety of privileged groups. Well, no, I totally disagree with the privileged group things. I mean, I've got friends of all all my um, all eth- ethnics. You know, I've got friends from you name the race, they're my friends. You know, I've got lots of friends that are gay. I'm not gay. I'm straight. I've got lots and lots of female friends. You know, what I think we've got to do is just get out on the streets and say to the youngsters, "Come on, come and join this club." Break it down by just letting them know this isn't for a particular section of our society. Do you not agree with that, Holly? Oh, I would agree with that. I mean, I think if it's... Uh, I mean, to be honest, actually, I've got to be honest, I don't think that the label Working Men's Club will necessarily... I mean, a lot of these old clubs, like... I think there's one near Hebden Bridge. Um, is it called Trades Club? I don't know whether that's still got the tag Working Men's Club. I think that some of them you could do with taking that tag off it because even if you say, oh, it's not just for men, if you've got that kind of hangover, I think it will put some people off, particularly women. But it very much depends on sort of what feedback you're getting from people and sort of who wants to go there. Johnny, when, you, when, you're, when you're working in one of these clubs what is the kind of audience ratio of men and women women are allowed in these days aren't they oh yeah it's 50 yeah. 50 yeah. right Th- there's not any more men than what there is women right in fact if it's an older audience there'll be more women because us guys die earlier <laughs> and those those are women they can make a noise i've i've performed in front of those man they can be oh, loud you don't want to you don't want to hem part in the audience when you're working holly we should get you yeah. to go we should get you to go to one of these clubs with with, with johnny and, and watch his sets <laughs> would you be up for that yeah. I, 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 I literally live in Bristol, but <laughs> if you could pay the travel, I will, I will be there. Holly, I've worked, I've worked all over Bristol, Holly. I work all over the world. Oh, right. We will find out the next time he's, he's near you, Holly, and we will get you two out. Cool. We'll, 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 we'll give you a few quid. You can go out and have a drink together, and we'll, we'll, we'll see if we can sort this out. Holly, thank you very much for coming Sounds on. good. Thank you. Uh, thank jo- uh, Johnny, you got any gigs coming up at the moment that, we sh- that people should be aware of? Big show on Sunday at the Campus West Theatre in Wellington City yep. that I've wrote and directed it, The House at Rock Blood. What, lots of young people coming to that. Yep. I've also got people in their 60s and 70s coming along. We're trying to bridge the generation gap and say this is for everybody. They're all coming dressed up in their gothic gear. There's are you, f- you going to dress up in your gothic gear? I will be there in the full gear. Oh, I've yeah. got it all. Top hat, towel coat, the full lot. Yeah, Lovely. The full Monty's. Got a great singer to look out for. She's only young. She's 18 years old by the name of Amelia Brown. She's a singer-songwriter. She's taking part in the show as Brilliant. well. So, let's get the young people out and no. about. Thank you for coming in. Nice to meet you. Lovely to meet go, you Go too. back to bed now, young man. Cheers. Says Johnny Tate. 
text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Text charged at the standard network rate. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, Ian Lee. Here until nine o'clock, lots coming up, including a new show starts tonight on Channel 4. It's called First Time Farmers. And have a guess, yeah, it looks at the reality of life for the next generation of farmers. Well, a 19-year-old from Bedfordshire is one of the stars of the programme. She's called Bunny Sear, and I'll be speaking to her in about 15 minutes' time. And also find out why residents of the Wixoms in Bedfordshire are really angry about plans for a landfill site in the area. And I'm throwing a kids' party tomorrow, three and one-year-olds. Oh, it seemed like such a good idea at the time. It's good. We've we've done the golden rule. The golden rule is that I learned this the hard way. Is when you're throwing a kids' party, you say the start time, you say the finish time as well. So the invitation says party is from three till five. That that's it. It's then determined when it's finished. So at five o'clock, you can say, "Well, thanks very much for coming. Here's your goodie bag." So I've got that. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. How do I survive this? I've I've really not thought this out well. Kate's in Harpenden. Good morning, Kate. Good morning, Ian. Uh, have you got kids, and do you throw them parties? Uh, no, I haven't. My brother's got seven, um, which is a ridiculous number of children. Hang on, so, so he's, got, um, he's got seven children? Yeah, I'm a professional auntie. How uh, many... Well, that's what it feels like at Christmas, what, anyway. What age are the kids? Uh, they start at, I think, three or four, and then they go up to the oldest one. Actually, eight, if the, the oldest one that doesn't live with him is uh, 20 now, I think. Wow, but the seven. oldest one who lives with them is 16. That's expensive for you at Christmas, I'd imagine. Or do you just buy <laughs> yes, them one? I'm not kidding. Wowzers. What's, what's your tip ex- to survive so this? this? It's a what not to do more than oh. anything. My, so okay. my, my brother's birthday is actually on the same day as me, two years apart. We always had our, sh- our birthday parties shared. And um, one year my parents got us a, um, a magician called Miranda. Um, well, I think I was eight and my brother was ten. Sounds fantastic. One of Miranda's tricks yeah. was to push a six-inch nail up her nose. It was, it was actually a lady, Miranda. Pushing, yes. pushing a, ne- an, a six-inch nail up her nose. And the one thing you should never do with a room full of eight to ten-year-olds is show them that it's possible mm. to put a six-inch nail up your nose. As it turns out, not that difficult. <laughs> but not something I would recommend. <laughs> you didn't have a go, did you? We all did. We all did. Of course we did. And it's actually, it's really not that difficult, but you have to re- relax your nasal cavity. Hang on a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm, don't try this at home, kids, but I'm kind of thinking, have we got a six-inch nail that's been sterilised in the building? I'm up for that. So exactly. You, everyone did it. So they, because I would have thought, you, you're saying that, or that they'd have just been shoving raisins or bits of cheese sandwich up there, but the kids actually went for the nail. Yeah, I mean, she she did it, and then afterwards we were like, oh, that must be possible then, so we all got the nails out. Luckily, uh, nobody caused themselves any uh, injury. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't want any of the kids this weekend to be rushed to A&E. That, I really want to avoid that as much as I can. No, and good luck with the clearing up the house afterwards, because uh, it's all very well saying a uh, two-hour party, but um, I, I would imagine that uh, half a dozen, even um, one- to three-year-olds, your house will look like a, a nuclear holocaust has been through it. Kate, thank you very much indeed. Yes, no, don't, don't show kids to shout to show. We're always trying to stop kids from putting things up their nose. Raisins. I remember my nephew, Dylan, got a raisin up his nose. And uh, was, was it up his nose or up his ear? No, it was up his nose. And he was in really bad pain. And my sister had to um, p- literally pin him down and hold his head between her knees and get some tweezers to pull this... And he was going mental. She said, right, listen, it's either this or we go to A&E. No, he did have to go. I remember he did go to hospital once because he was going a bit deaf. 
Okay, and, it's, and apparently it's quite common in young boys of a certain age. They get quite a lot of wax build-up. I know, not very glamorous. So they went to the hospital, and his ears were syringed, and he, I think he had a bit more done to him and stuff. And not only did a load of wax come out, piece of Lego. Piece of Lego was in his ear. F- it had been in there for months. It was really buried. <laughs> yeah, it was buried deep. How gross is that? Can kids appreciate magicians? Because kids don't have a basic grasp of physics, do they? So they don't know if something's amazing or not. Oh, look, he made that disappear, yeah? And? I don't know how science works. Why, why would that impress me? Um, Karen from Welling Garden City has texted in. 81333, starting her text 3CR. Kids party. Ride on toys and those small indoor slides. Small kiddies inflatable bouncy castle. I think I've left it too late for all of this, though, Karen. Table with Play-Doh. Um, musical chairs. I got some, uh, and at my daughter's second birthday, we got my nan and mum dressed up as Lala and Poe from the Teletubbies. My oldest was, um, thank you for that, Karen. My oldest, like yesterday, was saying, yeah, Daddy, I really, uh, I'm going to invite Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse to my birthday party. It's like, right. Do you think they'll come? Uh, I, th- I think they might be busy. No, 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 I, I want them to come, otherwise I'm going to be really upset. There's going to be tears. There's going to be tears. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, how would you feel if you moved into a gorgeous area and then weeks later you found out the landfill could be built on your doorstep? Well, that's what's happened to Zaina Herbert, who moved to Wixom's last month. She's amongst hundreds of people who are objecting to plans for a waste management facility at the old clay pits just south of Bedford. Well, Zaina's on the phone now. Morning, Zaina. Oh, good morning, Ian. Did you know about the landfill and waste management plans before you moved in? No, not at all. The searches that I had done didn't show anything at all about the proposal, and its boundary is 30 metres from the nearest house. Ouch. 30 metres! So, how long have you been there, and and how long after moving in did you find out that this was being proposed? I found out just before I moved in. Ah. I found out possibly the middle of November, and of course I joined the objections then, but I didn't move in until uh, mid-December. Okay, so so, so contracts had been signed up and you were were committed to it then? I was committed. How did that make you feel? I felt dreadful. I felt it had been underhand, that there'd been some deceit somewhere. And had I known about it, I don't think I would have continued with the purchase. So it, it, it's so it's so important to you that had you had the opportunity, you wouldn't have moved there? Well, that's right. They say that the site will process almost a quarter of a million tonnes of agricultural waste. But they don't say if that's green waste or animal excrement. Now, if it's animal poo, the stench is going to be horrendous and possibly even beyond control. I know the people who are proposing this site, FCC, have a site at Dorcott Head in Nottinghamshire, and that has many complaints about ongoing unbearable smells. The houses have heat exchange units that bring in the outside air, so the stink of the slurry would just fill every single room and be inescapable. Well, who wants to live with that? Supposing, Zaina, it wasn't animal waste, so you didn't have that smell. Would well, that I be think better? even with green waste, you get smell in the amount right. of rubbish they're speaking of uh, uh, processing there, and the litter. And the other thing I'm concerned about is the possibility of flooding. Mm. We have two lakes that are natural runoffs and water basins. The proposal says they're going to drain these lakes and fill the space and install extra, extra drainage. Well, that sounds fine, but extra drainage to where? If the lakes are filled and built over, what happens to the water that feeds them? You know, I've lived in an area where the water authorities installed extra drainage and it raised the water table. If the lakes are drained, I think it's inevitable that the water table will rise in an area already prone to flooding. 
Apart from the dangers, it might cause residents problems with house insurance. Zaina, why did you choose to move to Wixom's? I think it's the leading example in this country of what new housing development can achieve. It's a big and ambitious plan, only about 5,500 houses, schools, public amenities, a railway station. It's very peaceful, it's built with a lot of sympathy. There's been 10 years of investment by Gallagher's, who are the master developers. It's a friendly place, it's very clean, it, it's just delightful, I love being there. I drove past it the other day and it, it, it looks fantastic, but do you, do you think it's realistic that you and the other people living there can be successful in your fight against these plans? Yes, I do. I think last week, in fact I heard him myself, the Prime Minister and his deputy stated that building new and affordable houses is a government priority, a top priority. And this week the Housing Minister, Mr Bowles, said that new housing stock is essential even if they have to build on greenfield sites. Now, as you know, Wixom has been developed on a brownfield site, which is the better solution. I think if the proposal is accepted, it will be a gross betrayal of everyone who's invested in Wixom's. Gallagher's have been working on it ten years, you know. But the, but the, 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 the coalition say that, they're, they're, um, of course, they want to build more homes, but they've done that with Wixom's. The, the, the building of this waste plant doesn't, affect the, the, doesn't change the fact that they've built these homes, so they, they have ticked their box, haven't they? Well, not really. It's for four separate villages with about, as I said, five and a half thousand homes. Only one of the villages is completed at the moment. I've heard that new, new buyers are very reluctant to commit until the landfill question is solved. Mm. Now, if people don't buy, the progress will slow down and it might stop altogether. That means no more schools. There's already one school built there. No public amenities and shopping centres. No railway station. Zayna, uh, really interesting talking to you. Zayna Herbert there from Wixom's. Well, uh, fee, uh, FCC environment, the people behind the plans, weren't available this morning. They gave us a statement which says, Our plans to develop an integrated waste management plant at Elstow South are designed to provide a much-needed facility to treat commercial and industrial waste sourced from the local region. Our plans provide a suitable method of treating waste in a suitable manner. Call 08459 David's in Bedford. Morning, David. Morning, Ian. Uh, do you go to a working men's club? No, and I haven't for a good few years because of the quality of them and trying to get membership in some of them as well. Well, let's it's talk about the membership first. Why, why is that so difficult? Is that they were so popular and then all of a sudden it's just faded down and they've gradually closed and closed mm. and closed. But... They'd be, be, they be begging you to join now, David. Oh, yeah. But the reason is that they haven't moved on as well. Right. In trying to attract people to it, they need to do some marketing on it. So, what, what, what's what's wrong with them? What, what's what's the, the thing that's stopping you from going back? Me, one is I don't drink, and so that puts it out of it for mm. me. But I'm not interested in that type of life at the moment. What about the entertainment? Would it be nice to go and meet your mates, wouldn't it, and, and watch a show? Oh yeah, if it's a decent show, but but it's. The way the place is set out, it's still feeling as if it's for the elderly. And how old are you, David? I'm 56. So you're, st you're still a young man? Yeah. Uh, but what I'm saying is more those in their 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah. And they should use the name just the 
as it is, the central club, then people might become members if it was revamped with by revamping it all out and bringing it up to date a bit may get some of the younger people coming in. Last time I went to one, and this wasn't for social reasons, it was about four years, it must have been four years ago, three years ago, because um, we went there for a, a baby class, bizarrely, in the daytime, they kind of hide it out. And it, th- it was a great building uh, in North London, but it looked like it was stuck in 1976. The, the decor was really old-fashioned, the bar looked really old-fashioned. Do you think that's part of the problem? Yeah. It's still, I would say, it's still in the 70s. Mm. Or when it was built and not moved on and not looked at what the people are wanting, what the communities are wanting. All right, David, I'm going to go through some acts. Tell me if this would draw you there. A really good, raunchy, blue comedian. No. A Beatles tribute band. Possibly, yeah. A stripper. No. A transvestite. Definitely not. A magician. It depends on who it is. Yeah. It's interesting. David, listen, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate that. 08459 455 555. I took my son to see a transvestite nun singing songs from the musicals. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. He was, he was the children's entertainer. Uh, and, and my boy was absolutely terrified. It's a shame because I enjoyed it. I thought she was fantastic. Now, if you watch First Time Farmers uh, tonight on Channel 4, you'll see a 19-year-old from Woburn Sands. Bunny Seer is one of the stars of the programme, which looks at the realities of life for the next generation of farmers. She joins me on the line now. Morning, Bunny. Hi, morning, Ian. You're 19. You're a young lady. Why on earth would you want to be a farmer? Um, well, why not? My, um, my grandfather was a farmer, and it's what I grew up, uh, on his farm in summers, so I don't know, it's just stuck with me, really. Did, did, did you enjoy it growing up and, and, and helping out your granddad? <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Um, he, he farmed in Australia, so it was something a little bit different uh, uh, for me. Uh, see, suddenly, that sounds a lot more attractive. You've seen how cold it is this morning, Bunny. Yeah, I, I have. I'm looking out my window now, actually, at uni. I'm not quite convinced it's time to get up yet. But, <laughs> hang on a minute, that's not a farming attitude. <laughs> if you were a farmer, you'd be up at, like, I don't know, half past three to tend yonder cows or something. I don't really know what farmers do, if I'm honest, Bunny, but no. it, w- it would be hard work and you'd be out in the cold a lot, wouldn't you? Yeah, of course. Um, to, yeah, the early mornings and the cold don't really bother me. If you really enjoy something, then I guess, I guess you just sort of, those sort of things don't phase you. Well, farmers have been having a tough time lately with, with the bad weather and with the financial situations. D- 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 does it not put you off? It doesn't seem to me that you're going to be able to, to make much money. It's, it's going to be a constant slog, isn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a difficult um, financial situation, I think, for a lot of businesses right now. Um, but, you, you know, like, um, if you really love something and you're committed to it, mm. I, I think there's no reason you shouldn't be able to give it a shot. You're on the telly tonight, First Time Farmers, Channel 4. How did you get involved with that? Um, they, they actually came to my university and sort of just sort of picked people at random, um, which was interesting. Now, did, 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 now I, listen, I've not seen the picture of you, so I don't know, so d- don't take this the wrong way. When you say picked pick them at random, or did they just pick, like, buff young male farmers and hot young female farmers? Um, I, I wouldn't like to comment. Um, they, are are getting... all the men a bit dishy in it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, you see. So I'm thinking they picked they picked it to make farming look pick people to make farming look a little bit sexy. Um, 
Well, I think um, if you if you Google it, you might find some um, topless pictures of the boys, and so I'll leave it up to you to make your judgments there. Right, Bunny, thank you very much indeed. I shall have a little look at that. What's what sort of what's your best farming thing you can do? Oh gosh, I don't know. I'm really quite proud of the fact that I can. Um, I did harvest this year. Like I felt like that, you know, put me up a level. So yeah, it was quite fun. When you when you say you did harvest, what you you drove the combine harvester and stuff? Oh no, I oh. just drove the I drove the tractor and the trailer and like um, carted the the grain from the field to the store. How what's your record for milking a cow? How quick? Oh, never done it. Never never worked with cows. You never worked with cows? No, it's just sheep for me. Oh, can you milk a sheep? You can, can't you? Um, I don't know. I can shear a sheep. What's the quickest you can shear a sheep? Um, uh, oh gosh, I, w- I wouldn't know. I'm quite slurred it, but, um, I've got my British Wool Association Blue Seal Award. And what does that, what does that mean exactly? Um, that's, that means you could do three sheep in half an hour. It's, it's like the most basic one. Well, that's, that, you say basic, that sounds, it sounds pretty I- impressive to me. Do you know, have you seen the show tonight? Do, do, how do you come across on it? Um, I'm, I'm actually in the third episode. Um, I'm pretty happy with how I come across. I hope I come across well. I mean, I think I'm a nice person, so... Uh, buddy, I'm sure you are. Listen, thank you very much for coming on. We, we look forward to seeing you on the show. That's Bunny Sear, who's one of the stars of First Time Farmers on Channel 4. Uh, it starts tonight. She's in episode three. She's 19, and I, I have Googled it, and there are topless pictures of the male farmers, and they are buff. There's no denying it. Well, we can go to our uh, crop rotation correspondent, uh, Justin Dealey, who's been out with the cows near Luton. Morning, Justin. Yes, Ian, that is me. My top is off this morning as well. Oh, please. to you. No, put put that back on, please. We don't (laughs) need to see that on this cold weather. Yes, well, I've been on a farm this morning. I've been to the Pepsil End Farm in Pepperstock. I've been talking to Jimmy Spears. Now, he is young, and he loves working on the farm. We spoke earlier, and this is what happened. So, Jimmy, that noise is the milking machine. You're currently milking this cow here. What type of cow is that? That's a Holstein Friesian heifer. We're just, um, she's had a calf, but we've taken it off her and uh, we're just milking her to keep the milk on her until we sell her for a dairy farm. We'll come to the milking process in just a second. You're 21 years old. You've just left college. Why are you so excited about becoming a full-time farmer? I think it's, uh, it's, it's, good. it's a good opportunity for young people and I think it's just a, a good varied job, um, which... From day to day, it always changes, so it's always quite exciting. You never really know what you're going to do. And also, I like working with the animals. Um, It's a bit unpredictable, but it's quite rewarding as well. When you have um, calves and things like that, it's really rewarding. I know you say day to day changes, but just describe your typical day. For argument's sake, today, what are you doing? Okay, so Friday is is a busy day on the farm. We've got a lot of stock work to do for the weekend, so... We'll feed in the morning, we'll put out all the silage and the grub for all the cattle and then we'll, um, and then we'll do some strawing up, make sure they've got enough bedding for the weekend. Um, and then um, in the afternoon we'll feed, feed the calves and that sort of stuff and hopefully we might have a few calving today so we'll um, sort them out. That's and your hours as well, how bad are they? They're not too bad at this time of year. Um, sort of, we start at 7.30, finish at about 5.00. But in the summer, we can be working sort of um, 16, 17, 18 hour days, which is, mm. is pretty tough. None of your friends have got any interest in farming whatsoever. How do we encourage more young people like you to take up a career in farming? Well, it's a difficult one, I think, because um, young people like, like myself, if they're from the town, they've sort of got a um, fairly comfortable lifestyle. And I think they see the hours um, that we're working on the farm and it sort of puts them off a little bit. Um, and the unpredictability of the job, I suppose. I, 
they never seem that keen, but there are job opportunities out there for young people. And you're saying it's a great job, go and enjoy it. Have you been practising your OOR? Uh, yeah, I've got a good OOR. Oh, come on then, let's hear it. OOR! That was very, very impressive. So, to the milking machine. <laughs> it's quite simple. It looks quite simple. I'm sure you're going to tell me that's not the case. But, but instead of doing it manually, how does this machine work briefly? Okay, so basically it's vacuum. Uh, it's, it's worked on a vacuum. And we put these uh, put the clusters onto the teats uh, of the udder of the cow. And then, uh, and then it basically sucks out the milk from her udder. So um, this lovely cow here, how much milk will you get from this cow? Uh, she's giving about between 15 and 20 litres um, in the morning um, and when she goes to a dairy farm they'll milk her twice a day and she might give 30 litres a day, 40 litres a day. Yeah. It sounds absolutely fantastic. Um, as you mentioned earlier on, your advice would be to look into this seriously because it is going to be a good career for you. And just lastly, a word on these young farmers parties. They're absolutely outrageous, aren't they? Uh, so I've heard. I've heard they can get slightly or a little bit loose with the old young farmers parties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm not a young farmer at the moment I was though but we've got I know a few people and they get pretty crazy brilliant stuff thank you so much have a good day really appreciate your time thanks very much Justin refreshing to hear that Jimmy Spears they're 21 years old this morning on the Pepsilent farm he's young and he is looking forward to his career in farming would you ever be a farmer, Justin, getting your hands dirty, the muck of the land, fondling cows? You see, it, it looks lovely. that The animals were absolutely gorgeous this morning, but I'm not into manual work. You know, I get very, very tired very, very quickly. I would much prefer to talk for a living instead of doing anything manually. And say. also, those um, ladies' blouses that you wear would, would just get ruined, wouldn't they? Come on, let's not talk about what's going to be happening this weekend. That's a weekend <laughs> thing only, Ian. Come it's on. i obsessed with cross-dressing this show. I'm not quite sure <laughs> how that's been the thing. And all, I just... That, that, I like the idea of, of farming, be, being one with nature, but it's, it's very stinky and it's very dirty, isn't it? But it's nice. Come on, when you go to these farms this morning, yep. you, you go in, you go through the doors, and you take a deep breath. Beautiful. That is the smell of the countryside. My dad, when we, exactly, when we used to drive through the countryside and, he would, and we were kids... He'd say, wind down the window, and it would stink of, you know, manure. Take a deep breath. Yeah. That's, that's the countryside. <laughs> well, if that's the countryside, you can keep it. It stinks yeah. of poo. No, it's nice. It's a nice smell. And thankfully, in Beds, Hearts and Bucks, we've got loads of countryside. And uh, rightly so, it's very, very enjoyable. Well, Justin, I know what aftershave to get you for your birthday. Justin Dealey, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Lots coming up. <laughs> The last hour of the week. The weekend starts in about 57 minutes when David Prever comes in. Last day of David Prever. Um, Jonathan Vernon Smith is back on Monday. He was posting pictures on his Facebook page of his last Argentinian beer. It's, it's very sad. He'll be feisty, though. He's been away for three weeks. He'll be feisty. He's back next week. David's on at nine. In the last hour of this show, though, lots of things. Uh, and as always, it'll be good to get your say on some of them. Uh, some of the things coming up, including... Two men have been convicted of murdering two teenagers who were shot in a drug turf row in Milton Keynes. I'll be speaking to MP Mark Lancaster to discuss what impact their deaths, deaths have had on Fishermead. The scale of sexual offending carried out by Jimmy Savile will be set out in a joint report today. We'll be previewing exactly what that report is expected to reveal. And what would make you go to a working men's club? An investigation by this programme has revealed clubs in beds, hearts and bucks are facing financial crisis. Danny Glass, a club singer from Luton, will be joining me in the studio to sing us out at the end of the show. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can see a picture with me and Johnny, the comedian that came in earlier. 
You can uh, text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or give us a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Two men have been found guilty of murdering two Somali teenagers in Milton Keynes in a dispute over drugs. Mohamed Farah and Amin Ahmed Ishmael were shot dead in an alleyway in Fishermead. Fouad Awali and Shimake Abdul Qadir have been found guilty by jury at Luton Crown Court. They'll be sentenced later on today. A third man, Yaya Haroon, has been found not guilty. His barrister, Kerin Fu Wad QC, spoke to our reporter Jessica Cooper outside court and gave his reaction. Well, a great deal of, um, I think, relief. He's extremely relieved and shocked. His mother hasn't stopped crying. Um, And it's obviously a a fantastic result for him and and his family. Um, An acquittal of double murder um, has perhaps its own logical um, relief that comes with it. Mm. How is uh, Yaya Hirin at the moment? Because, as you say, he he could have been going down into the docks this afternoon and going to prison for a long time. Instead, he's going to be out and acquitted. Um, I can't express any personal view, uh, unfortunately, but he certainly, as I'm sure you saw, he was in a state of shock, and that state of shock remained when I last saw him as he was just preparing to be released and be reunited with his mother a few moments ago. But what impact has this case had on the local community? Our reporter, Tony Fisher, has been speaking to the community in Fishermead. What's the, what's the community like around here? Does it feel pretty safe in the, following the shootings? This part of, of Fishermead is quiet and never get any trouble. Yeah, you get into the, the part where all the townhouses are and the main boulevard and going off towards um, the escape. When you get to that part of Fishermead, it's run down. It really needs knocking down and starting again. It is bad up there. It is bad. And the multiple tenancy is just out of order. You've got, if you've got, like, ten youths all living in one four-bedroom house... I've always uh, been very aware of the fact that there's a lot of uh, crime, particularly around this part of the world, and I'm afraid I'll get into trouble because I think it, it emanates from, from the immigrant population that causes most of the trouble. Most of the estate here is very, very good. It's only certain areas, you know. Don't, don't condemn the whole estate. Do you worry for the future of your children living on this estate? Exactly. Yeah, that's the main priority. I'm quite worried about that. that if such a thing, I'm even planning to move out of this community because we think it's not safe anymore if such a thing is happening. Uh, Acting Inspector Andrew Hanlon, I'm working on the South Neighbourhood team in Milton Keynes. I I cover the Fishermead Estate as well as the South of uh, the whole of Milton Keynes. Uh, Initially there was obviously a huge impact from uh, what had taken place, but um, since then um, we've moved on well, the community's moved on well. We've gotten some engagement officers to allow us to work with uh, the Somali community better. Uh, Recently we've run a a local operation here as well to try and reduce violence and um, drug offences, and um, I'm pleased to say um, drug offences and violence are down by over 20%. Um, this year. So that's as a result of the, the work you've been doing with the community? Yes, um, we've been working with the residents as I said and the parish um, who's supported us with funding as well and um, with the extra patrols and the work that's gone on um, we, we've had a good impact on the estate I believe. I'm Seth Talek and I'm uh, Milton Keynes councillor and I represent Fishermead. There's been nothing like that in, in the 30, 40 years since the estate was built and obviously it does take you a back particularly as you know the huge interest that was taken by the media and the fact that um, 
um, in a small section of the estate there was uh, considerable police interest for some time. I mean, it's the sort of thing that people don't expect to happen on their doorstep and uh, I guess don't expect to happen again on their doorstep. So do you think the, the community has come to terms with what's happened? Yes, I think that's absolutely right. The particular issue we're talking about was something within the Somali community and there were particular concerns there. But um, I think generally great efforts have been made by everybody to ensure that um, everybody on Fishermead gets on well. Thank you very much, Tony Fisher, our reporter there. 08459 is the telephone number. Uh, and we'll be talking more about that later on. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Yep. We did some of the papers. Shall we have a Enough to make you shudder. Temperatures set for sudden plunge to minus 10 degrees as average heating bill for the elderly soars to 1,350. Pensioners will suffer a double blow today with the arrival of freezing weather and news that their energy bills have doubled in seven years. Well, hang on, that's happening to all of us, isn't it? It's not just happening to the elderly, but it's just them getting cold and having expensive bills. No, it's happening to everybody. Um, And there's Adele. She's, I don't know what she's done. The, da- the Daily Express. Pension relief for millions. Government scraps plans to hit savings. Pensioners yesterday received a huge boost as government experts decided against meddling with the way retirement payments are calculated. And there's uh, Adele on, again. Probably done something. Uh, the Sun. Um, sicko shave my shih tzu. It's the front page of a newspaper. It's the front page of Britain's biggest selling newspaper. Right? Sicko shaved my shih tzu. They have a picture of before and after. The eyes have been blacked out of the dog, so we don't know who the dog is. A jealous boyfriend hit back at his ex by shaving a shih tzu she planned to enter at Crufts. Sick Rob Davy, 26, used clippers on Zoe Ashman's prize pet because he thought she was lying to him at court herd. Oh, here we go. It's local. She returned home in Hartford, Hearts, to find large amounts of dog hair by the continued on page six. Well, we will continue. Oh, look, Destiny's Child are back together. That's good news, isn't it? Uh, page six, where is it? Uh, sinking and the mutt minus its coat. Self-employed Davy had also scrawled the words liar across Wall's door and a fridge. He struck after spending the night at Miss Ashman's house, despite the couple having split up weeks earlier. Next day, while still in the home, he called Miss Ashman, 36, to ask where she was. She said she had gone to work, but Davy didn't believe her. He took his anger out on the Shih Tzu he knew she had groomed for the famous dog show. Magistrate, sorry, I'm going to read the whole story. Magistrate Nicholas Moss told him, you don't treat other people's property, including a harmless pet in this fashion. It's absolutely abominable. You should be ashamed. He was ordered to pay £2,000 compensation and given a 12-month community order. Davy, who represented himself in court, said, yeah, I agree. I overreacted on a large scale. My defence is, I don't like being lied to. I'm deeply apologetic. Most of my convictions are down to alcoholism. Please read those last two sentences again. I'm deeply apologetic. Most of my convictions are down to alcoholism. It's front page of Britain's biggest selling newspaper. Are you joking? When did the sun give up? No, I quite like the sun. It's a bit of, it's a bit of froth. It's a bit light-hearted. When did they give up telling you news? For goodness sakes. Grace. Oh, it's uh, Grace, one of the Strictly Kids from Stevenage. Morning, Grace. Hi. 
Now, Grace, you were, for those who don't know, and you listeners, listening all the time, uh, you were one of our Strictly Come Dancing correspondents. Since that show ended, you've been made unemployed. How does it feel being on the scrap heap at ten years old? Uh... Uh, it's fine. You sure, you sure you can cope with it, Grace? Yes. There, there might be a comeback. There, you, you might have a big showbiz comeback. You never know. Yay. <laughs> you never know. Uh, so, Grace, d- 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 parties. Tell me about what I can do at this, the kids' parties. Um, well, there's this game that, that you can play. That's called um, Disappearing Hedgehogs. Uh, excuse me? <laughs> Disappe- disappearing Hedgehogs? Yes, you have to ask all the kids to um, kneel down like hedgehogs yeah. and tell them to pretend to be asleep and then put um, put a blanket over one of the, one of the um, oh. children and then they have to wake up and guess who, the, guess who was missing. Uh, that, now, that's not a bad idea, actually. Disappear- the thing is, what's great is kids go bonkers, OK, but they do like games where they have to pretend to be asleep. Sleeping bunnies, of course... Uh, it, it is a good one. Sleeping Lions is another one. And now I've got the Disappearing Hedgehog. Grace, do you think... Uh, what, what can I do? I'm, I'm worried that at the end of this... It's been a busy week. It's been a stressful week. It's been, been an emotional week for me. I'm worried at the end of this party tomorrow, I'm going to be absolutely shattered. Have you got any tips for me, Grace, on how I can survive this? Um... 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 Listen um, to Elmo and I know it. Listen to what? Elmo and I Know It. What's that? It's a take, it's Elmo's version of Sexy and I Know It. What, Elmo from Sesame Street? Yeah. Okay, uh, Grace, I'll listen to that, I'll I'll try anything, I'm desperate. (laughs) Grace, thank you very much, see you later on, take care. Bye-bye. That's, uh, there we go. There was, there was a buy. I faded around the buy. That's how we do it. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I think the kids' entertainment is going to be sorted. We just give them a load of fizzy pop, load of Haribo, and p- some games, play some music, I don't know. I'm more worried about how I'm going to survive this party tomorrow. Three, three till five. I, I'm a little bit concerned. If there are any parents out there who've been through this hell, oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Let's the travel news now. Here's Sophie Tyler. And Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. This is what Sophie Tyler sounds like. Yeah, we're not going to that, for goodness sakes. David, you got any travel news you can tell us? We've lost Sophie. Yeah, very, very busy coming into the building because a man is delivering some milk. Okay, well, hopefully and that's, uh, that's it. That's it. That's helpful. I wonder if the real Sophie Tyler is there now. Sophie, no, that's what she sounds like. Sophie's gone. I tell you what, let me do the headlines and maybe we'll get back to Sophie a bit later on. Maybe we'll. I don't know. It's one of those mornings. Now it's a rare treat for all of us. You get to hear my producer. Producer Laura putting on her posh voice Ooh. and having a pop at the travel. Let's see what happens. Laura, it's... There's actually quite good news um, for people out and about on the roads in the three counties this morning. However, if there's something that we haven't reported and I've missed because this is only my third time doing the travel news in the last couple of months, do give us a call on 08459-455555. I can continue talking for why don't you? Why don't you do your posh voice normally? Do you, do speak in your normal common voice. Go on. No. <laughs> She's right not to. BBC Thank you, Laura. Three Counties Radio. 
David Priva, your last day. Right, now then, this party of yours. <laughs> what can I tell you? Yeah, you're, you're not invited. I thought I was coming. You can, you can come and if you want. Of course you can. Right. You're, you're, you've been there, you've done this. I've got three year four and two, yeah. And a one-year-old, so okay. it's kind of the same same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm dreading it, to be honest. Well, here's two things. One is outsourcing. You outsource everything. Right, okay. So you're not responsible. That's not bad. The grandmother's advice earlier was very good. Yeah, she's coming. Um, and the other thing is you need to show that you are at least involved so that uh, your wife will think that you've done something. Take responsibility for the parents. That's what I always do. Hey! Take responsibility for the parents. You go out, you buy all the papers for them. Yeah. Coffees, a few little snacks, make them a sandwich or two. That's and then you nice. look up, and they'll all come in, oh, hello, Ian, saw yep. you on the television, you can do yep. the whole, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And all that. And they want to talk to you about work, and then you will have had a lovely time. Should, in the, we obviously have to give out goodie bags, yes. party bags. Should, uh, a signed photo, would, would that uh, be? Definitely a signed photo. Would that be appropriate? <laughs> yeah, I'll absolutely. do that. I'll slip, well, I'll slip that in there. It's excellent. What's on your show this you morning, use it. Everything is a marketing opportunity. <laughs> Everything is, you don't know who'll be there. Who knows? You'll who never knows? know who will be there. Yeah. One of those kids in, in 30 years' time could be a TV executive. I could be back. Well, at my boy's fourth party, which uh, I, was, I was quite looking forward to, but I was, you know, chatting to the parents, and I was shoved in the corner with some father. Oh, he's quite dull. I said to him, what do you do for him? He said, oh, I work in television. Oh, my ears pricked up well, like that. Hello, sir. Yes, Can I shake your hands? Exactly. Lovely time we had. What's happening on yours today? Is it ever safe to gamble? Campaigners are urging the government to ban high-stakes casino-style gambling machines. You're a gambler? I know nothing about it. Uh, nothing uh, at maybe all. Maybe twice a year. I will go to mm. a casino and spend £100 on roulette. Well, these machines apparently are a big problem. Labour MP for uh, Luton North, Kelvin Hopkins, told the Commons yesterday it's a serious problem. The government say, well, yeah, there's a lot of revenue in it for us, mm. though. So we're asking, is it ever safe to gamble after nine o'clock this morning? We had the, we're talking about working men's clubs today, and we had a fellow who runs one of the clubs. He was saying about ten years ago, the... the Gam- the slot machines. I heard that. 50, 50 grand, grand a year. A year. Unbelievable, eh? It's, it's incredible. Extraordinary, yeah. Uh, okay. David, good stuff. Look thank forward you. to that. If you want to get in touch with. Uh, thank you very much, and you. If you want to get in touch with David, send him an email. Uh, show at bbc.co.uk. Put your phone number and what you want to say, and uh, the, the team may get back uh, in touch with you. Across beds, hearts, and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Working men's clubs across beds, hearts and bucks are facing financial crisis. The Working Men's Club and Institutions Union says that nationally, the number of clubs has slumped from around 4,000 in the 1970s to around just about 2,000 now. One club in Bedford, the Bedford Central Club, is facing hard times and will have to close its doors next month unless they find another club to save them. Our reporter, Sophie Solaria, has been down to Dunstable Conservative Club, another local club that's struggling to survive. (laughs) Cheers. So, sir, how long have you been coming to Dunstable Conservative Club? Well, as long as been able to drink, virtually, yes. On and off about, uh, say, 40 years. 74 I joined, and it's very, very strict. Tell me what you had to wear, Peter. A tie, at least. I feel underdressed. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. In them days, you wouldn't have got in here with a pair of jeans on. No, yeah, no way. Jeans no way. Oh, you had to be dressed properly. How busy was it in here? Very busy. Very busy. So this section that you're sitting on now, just around the second bar, I think, in the club, um, there's, oh, about half a dozen of you. Would you have been able to have got a seat here in the corner? Uh, no, no, would not, no. No, not then, because No, in those days, it was a lot. <laughs> of old age pensioners in here. Sadly, most of them have passed on. 
What about the younger generation, though? Are they coming through the door? Not really, <laughs> no. <laughs> youngsters today are not club-orientated. You ain't got no youngsters, you ain't got no future. How are you going to get them through the door? Now that... <laughs> I would not know. That's a million-dollar question. <laughs> the young people are the future. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's like the modern shopping centres. Yeah. If you haven't got younger people shopping in your local community the community dies and they're shopping online what's the answer i don't know we do have entertainments on saturdays you have entertainment what kind of entertainment well, do you have? all sorts of entertainments <laughs> in that front bar we get singers in there uh, we have had discos but i love our discos but we do have them now and again yeah not all that often and you do the bingo george oh yes i do the bingo on a friday night bingo on a friday <laughs> That should get them in, shouldn't it? There's no buses down at night time. You can't it? get buses down. So you can't get the older people out at night. So you can't get down. So you need some buses here, some local transport, getting people in, getting yeah, those doors open. Yes. What will happen if you can't get that younger generation through those doors? Well, well it eventually uh, die, wouldn't it? It'd die. Every big company had their own social club years ago, and they were all well attended. Now, the big companies have gone out of Dunstable, and there's only about three clubs left in Dunstable. That was Sophie Solaria there in the uh, Dunstable Conservative Club. With us now, Ruth Charrington, club historian and author of Not Just a Bi- Not Just Beer and Bingo, A Social History of Working Men's Clubs. Morning, Ruth. Good morning. You were brought up in the club scene. You've been going since you were a child in the 60s. When do you think they sort of started to, to go downhill a bit? Well, I think things started to go wrong probably back in the, in the 70s, you know, when they were at their heyday. Um, young people, as mentioned in your report just now, young people were already starting to turn away from clubs then and then of course the 70s and the 80s we saw economic downturns and unemployment and the closure of a lot of major industries up and down the country so really it started the rot started to set in way back then as a woman uh, in, in the club environment did, did you feel a bit out of place did it feel like it was exclusively for men well, the, the, the club that I went to, I'm, I'm from Coventry, and um, I think a lot of the post-war clubs were more welcoming to women than perhaps some of the older ones. Um, women were allowed into many clubs and were allowed to be lady members, but not with full rights. But I must admit, when I was a child, I, I did ask my dad, you know, why aren't um, the women allowed to play on the snooker tables and the billiards tables? And we, we could watch and sit around. Oh, that's but, nice. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> Good it, for it was you. fun. But, um, you know, there were certain things you couldn't do, and... And, of course, back in those days, women were not allowed to be on the committees, so all the committee were, were men only. But that did start to change, um, probably back in the 70s and 80s. So now you do see a lot more women in um, actively helping to run clubs as well as, you know, be members as well. A lot of the clubs on the inside... They look a bit 70s, don't they? I was saying I went to one a few years ago, uh, for, not for a social night, for something completely different. Um, and I had a good look around, and it, it looked like the 70s in there. Why would someone under the age of 30 want to go to that? Well, that's a big point, isn't it? Um, of course, a lot of clubs, you see, did renovate and refurbish back in the 60s and 70s. So, of course, you know, there were state-of-the-art concert rooms mm. and games rooms back then. But because of the decline and declining numbers, they haven't been able to keep up with the times. You know, it's a lot of money to spend um, doing them all up again. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 uh, the inside of clubs can be off-putting to younger generation. But then again, you know, there is a, one appeal would be to make these um, quite authentic retro scenes, you know, and mm. 
attract mm. perhaps um, the gen- like my generation, you know, in the sort of forties, fifties, and so on, who might go in. And not that's not solving the youth problem, I know. But you know, some clubs are actually actually marketing that you know that they are sort of like quite retro venues so it's not all a downside you've started a website called club historians where people come to you with their club stories what what are people saying to you about the demise of of their working men's clubs and the whole scene yeah pretty much the sort of things that um that it would just reported in in the um previous uh, commentary there you know the thing that not getting young people in that um you know a lot of industries moved out People haven't got the same type of jobs anymore. They're not in full-time work, probably. And also, you know, that there are simply a lot more things on offer these days. You know, back in the 1950s and 60s, there was only one TV channel to watch. There was no internet. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot to do at home for entertainment. And um, really, the club, in many places, that was where you went. That was the main social life. But these days, you know, even if you haven't got a lot of money, there's still quite a lot on offer to do. And people will go to the gym and, and dance classes mm. and what have you. So, you know, there's, there's a lot more things for people to do out there. And the club has lost that centralness. Ruth, listen, we have to leave it there. Ruth Charrington, if you want to check her website out, www.clubhistorians.co.uk. Coming up before the end of the show, we've got a legend from the Luton circuit, Mr Danny Glass, is on the show to sing us out. Looking forward to that, uh, indeed. We're covering all the topics this morning. Um, some of them quite light-hearted, like the, the, the club scene there, and some of them a little bit more serious, like this. Uh, two men have been found guilty of murdering two Somali teenagers in Milton Keynes in a dispute over drugs. Mohammed Farah and Amin Ahmed Ishmael were shot dead in an alleyway in Fishermead. Fuad Awaf, uh, Awali and Shamake Abdul Qadir have been found guilty by a jury at Luton Crown Court. The MP for Milton Keynes North is Mark Lancaster. He joins us now. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. What's, what's your reaction following this trial? Well, I think it will um, bring some uh, sense of closure to the family. And at the time, um, I was involved with the family. And, of course, there was great shock uh, and despair in the community. So to see justice um, be given is a good thing. Um, a good end to what has been a very sad series of events. Well, you, you mentioned the community. It took place in, in Fishermead. What impact did the, their deaths have on the area? Well, it did have a big impact. It's always a great shock. I mean, Fishermead's a fantastic community. It's a very diverse community. I spend quite a lot of time there. Uh, and they're really good people. I've been working very closely, for example, with the Somali community to try and get the drug cat, uh, which is chewed by the Somali community, um, um, classified. And that's hopefully just about uh, to come to an end um, probably in the next couple of weeks when the government um, should receive recommendations. But there's all sorts of projects going on uh, in Fishermead, um, which are helping to bring the community together um, after this um, event. Of course, we also had uh, a tragic death there in a fire in a house in multiple occupancy a couple of years ago as well, which has caused... Um, you know, some concerns in the community as well. So it's had been a series of unfortunate events, but actually the community is bouncing back, uh, and I'm confident that the future is going to be bright for Fishermead. We'll, we'll leave it on that positive note. Mark Lancaster, uh, the uh, MP for Milton Keynes North, uh, talking about Fishermead. Thank you very much uh, for that terrible story. So it's, it, it's good to end it on a slightly upbeat note, if that's at all possible. And that's your latest news in sport. More from me at nine o'clock. Uh, Kevin, I don't know a lot about football. Just to clarify, when you say put the ball in the back of the net, that means... That means score a goal. Score a goal. Thank you very much indeed. Oh, we don't want that. So we want that. We want that. The BBC. Hearts and Bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. If someone can fix the computer for me, please. It seems to be broken. I've got no idea what's going on. It's nothing to do with me whatsoever.
now, the uh, police will... We're, lots coming up in the last half hour of the show, by the way. I should just let you know that we'll be talking about the scale of sexual offending carried out by Jimmy Savile and what would make you go to a working men's club. An investigation by this programme has revealed that clubs in beds, hearts and bucks are facing financial crisis. And we've got Danny Glass, a club singer from Luton, who's going to be joining me in the studio later on. Now, the police will reveal the full extent of the sexual offending carried out by Jimmy Savile in a report published later this morning. Hundreds of people have come forward to say they were abused by the late television presenter, many on BBC premises. The report is also expected to say that Savile's abuse extended to many hospitals and a hospice. Well, our reporter Simon Thompson joins me now. Good morning, Simon. Hi, Ian. What's expected to be in this report today? Well, Jimmy Savile died in October 2007, a knight of the realm aged 84. The allegations about him being a paedophile only emerged about a year after his death in that now rather famous ICV documentary in October last year. And then very quickly, victims began coming forward. The police launched an investigation. Detectives were prompted to describe Savile as one of the worst predatory sex offenders they'd come across. By December last year, the police had recorded almost 200 allegations against him, including 31 alleged rapes. Now, today's report is called Giving Victims a Voice. It's expected to show that Savile carried out a large number of sexual assaults on BBC premises, including Television Centre, where, of course, he fronted Jim Will Fix It for many years, and other programmes. About a dozen hospitals are also believed to have been identified by victims as uh, locations for alleged abuse. At least one allegation has been made that Savile sexually assaulted someone in a hospice, we understand. And separately to this police report is the Crown Prosecution Service also launching their report today, uh, a review really of their decision in 2009 not to charge Jimmy Savile with sexual offences following investigations by police in Surrey and in Sussex. What do victims say about this process? Of course, that is the priority, isn't it, for everyone concerned, the victims of Jimmy Savile. They will not get um, satisfaction through any court process, of course, in terms of Jimmy Savile directly, because, of course, he's dead and can't be prosecuted. But the, the inquiry, at least, is seen as a help to them in some ways. Deborah Cogger was abused by Savile when she was 14 at Duncroft in the 1970s. That's the approved school for girls when it existed in Surrey. She says she hopes publication of the police report today will help bring about closure in some way for her and others. It's just about being able to be finally be believed, she says. It's not even about telling the story, it's simply about being believed. Uh, Liz Ducks is from Slater and Gordon, one of the groups of solicitors representing some of the victims. She says Operation Utree, the police inquiry, um, has given victims what she calls validity. They're able to give their statements for the first time in circumstances where they're believed and where they're being dealt with sensitively, she says. Now they can move on to the inquiry, she says at least, and she hopes those inquiries are dealt with as swiftly as possible. How is the police criminal investigation going? Well, Operation U2 continues, and detectives are looking at three strands to their inquiries. Claims against Savile solely, those against Savile involving others, and those against others not involving Jimmy Savile at all. And they've made a number of high-profile inquiries and arrests so far, including uh, the former pop star Gary Glitter, the comedian Freddie Starr, and the PR man Max Clifford, the DJ Dave Levy Travis, he was bailed again earlier this week. And, of course, Jim Davidson, earlier this month, became the tenth person to be questioned in relation to Operation U2. All those, of course, denied the alleged uh, um, 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 the allegations against them. Uh, Simon, thank you very much for that. The BBC in beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Now, people living uh, in, uh, on Wixoms in Bedfordshire say they'll fight plans for a landfill on their doorstep. It forms part of a wider waste management facility being suggested for the old clay pits just outside Bedford. Hundreds of people have objected and will today hand in their concerns to the council. Joe Robery is from the Say No to Wixoms landfill group. Morning, Joe. Good morning, Ian. Uh, why are you and other residents so against this landfill? Well, we, we're very against it because uh, we feel we, we've been sold a dream of living in Wixoms. Now, Wixoms, as you know, is a, is a big development. Mm. We promised lots of amenities, sports facilities, schools, uh, a health centre and, and very importantly a railway which is obviously of interest to the wider Bedfordshire community. Um, the proposals that are un- under consideration at the moment, uh, we, we feel we weren't really informed and we live, as uh, Zaina you heard earlier, mm. uh, you know, metres away from this proposed development which is actually on a, on a, a beautiful um, flooded pits which... Um, uh, anglers from all over the country come to fish because it's been there for sort of 40, 50 years. How long have you lived there? I've lived there 18 months. Okay, and uh, at what point did you find out that this landfill was was under was being proposed? Well, FCC Environment, who uh, who put the plans together, have held two public consultations. Uh, one which was held um, just at the top of the A6. Uh, we found out as residents uh, just the night before their second consultation uh, that they mm. were holding. And the, the way we found that out was by one of the local residents took it off their own uh, initiative to do a mail shot around the houses. And so so the, the company didn't say, by the way, you, we, we're talking, we, we might build a landfill here, you might be interested. Um, obviously, through the normal uh, planning process, they, they put their, their yeah. plans together. However, um, it's a, a site called Elstow South which, of course, Wixom's residents felt was uh, in a different location. And so if you see something in a different location, you tend not to read the detail. Yeah. Um, and so that's why we're spreading our message now. And, and you know, residents of all of Bedford, Elstow, Wilstead, Kempston, they will all be affected by this. So I'd urge them to visit our site at saynotowixomslandfill.org.uk or get onto our Facebook site, Say No to Wixom's Landfill. If you'd have known this landfill was going to be built there, would you have moved to Wixom's? Well... Probably not. Mm. Um, the reason being, we feel there are a number of questions that FCC have not answered. Um, we, this is not an objection. This is not a nimbyism. Uh, we understand that you know we have to deal with waste. We're questioning the mineral waste and core strategy that Bedford have put together. We don't believe there is a need for another landfill in Bedford. Nadine Doris, our MP, has also said said as such. We we seem to be a dumping ground for all of Britain. I, w- I would probably have, um, I'd love to live in Wixoms, and I do love living in Wixoms because of all the amenities that we've been promised, and it's a fantastic scheme, mm. and that's why Gallagher's the major developer are on board with our protest as well. Uh, you've got your websites, you've just mentioned. What else are you doing? What's, well, how is the protest taking shape? Well, today, I think you mentioned, we're handing in um, our technical objection, which is, uh, I think it's about a 20-page document, uh, to Central Beds, who are... Um, looking at the mineral uh, waste and core strategy, they're, they're coordinating it for Bedford Borough Council, which is what we come under. Um, we're gaining some momentum. We've got um, nearly 600 formal objections, uh, which is which is a really good amount. Um, we're also thinking about the future. Um, th- there are several barriers to this uh, process going through. The first is the mineral strategy, which if that's get rejected, the whole idea of this landfill becomes obsolete. Mm. Um, if that gets approved by Bedford Borough Council then the real, start, the real fight starts. What's the timescale for this? How, how, how quickly are things moving in terms of their, their plans going through? Um, it's, uh, there's consultation between Gallagher's, FCC, Borough Council, all the local stakeholders, which is ongoing over the next couple of weeks. 
the minerals and waste core strategy, which is a, is a bit of a mouthful, so you'll have to forgive me, mm. that is uh, for review, I think, in February. If that goes through, the planning application will then be heard and it could be anything beyond April. But this whole process could go on until October before we really know where we stand with it. If, if the landfill and the waste management facility goes ahead, what impact will that have on Wixom's, do you think? Well, the, the biggest impact will be um, uh, house developers will not wish to build there. We've already seen a few people pull out of, of homes because of the, the furore we've made regarding this. Now, if that happens, Gallagher's won't be able to uh, attract house mm. builders to the site. Um, that will mean that uh, independent providers won't want to put facilities in. There'll be no, no need for the schools there. Network Rail have lodged a very good complaint, which um, they've suggested that if the village doesn't grow, because the area that is not built is, is between the existing village and the railway line, so if that area doesn't grow, Network Rail, there's a good chance they won't build that station, which, of course, will affect the, affect the wider Bedford community. Are people going to move out, do you think, if, if, if they're not happy? I, I, don't, I don't think people will move out because we're a really tight-knit community and you know we've we've gone from a standing start to a to a really great campaign and you know we're here at bbc towers now discussing it we've got the local press on board and uh, as i say nadine doris is coming down mm. later on um and we, we you know we're really passionate about the wixom's ideal so we want it we really want to make it work which is why we've seen so much um protest against us. do you think you stand a chance 600 p- protesters it, it, it's a lot but is that going to be enough do you think yeah we we absolutely stand a chance we absolutely stand a chance we want to beat this thing at, at every opportunity we get now we we might be able to beat it in the next two weeks if we don't we've got a lot of objections and protest mm. to fall back on but it, it really needs people from from wixom's elstow kempston and wilstead to get online lodge their complaint kick up a stink let let the mps know let the council know and and we don't want to take this line down and of course the other thing is residents of elstow they 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 had the landfill at elstow north for all those all those years and they're thinking why should why should we have another one uh, Joe, listen, we'll be following this very closely and no doubt we'll be speaking again. Thank you very much for coming in. That's Thank Joe Robery from the Say No to Wixom's Landfill Group. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. If you have a quick look at the front page of the newspapers, let's have a Oh, look, they've got all of these silly stories. How to stay fit for life. The easy eight-step plan by Matt Roberts. Then there's a picture of a young girl using um, a chick as a telephone. I don't, I've got no idea what that's about. Um, and Germans tell UK, no new deal on Europe. David Cameron's hopes of negotiating looser ties between Britain and Brussels are all but impossible, according to an ally of Angela Merkel. Or as we call her, Angela Merkel. The Daily Telegraph. Um, disarray as childcare tax break is put on hold. Um, blast from the Baltic brings snow and health warning. And there's a, a lady from a film is on the front page. My popular cultural references are slightly out of date. I don't know who Anne Hathaway is. She's from Les Mis, I know that much. But she, she's from like other films as well, is she? I guess she is. No idea. Not a clue. Looks being uh, The Devil Wears Prada. Of course I should have known that. I've got the two DVD Blu-ray set. What? I haven't. I've never seen it in my life. The Guardian. Officer is first phone hacking conviction. And there's a, a picture of a lady from the Quentin Tarantino film. And Spielberg's Lincoln leads patriotic Oscars charge. This award season begins with a rousing chorus of the Star Spangled Banner. 
Oh, dear. D- 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 Lincoln. It's one of those films that win a load of Oscars, right, because it's worthy. Oh, it's so worthy. It's also really, really boring. At least the first 15 minutes of it were before I walked out, because it was boring. So, do- hey, listen, kids, if you're going to make a film, why don't you make it exciting and interesting? There was not one car chase in that film. Um, the Independent. The, uh, the Rape of Justice. The true extent of the justice system's failure to protect women and men from sexual assault can be revealed today. But will these shocking statistics lead to change? The Daily Express. Pension relief for millions, and there's a picture of Adele on there. She's obviously done something. The Daily Mail. Enough to make you shudder. Temperatures set for sudden plunge to minus 10 degrees as average heating bill for the elderly soars to £1,350. And then there's another picture of Adele. And then the Sun sun have really given up, haven't they? Any pretense of being... Being a newspaper. Sicko shaved my shih tzu. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed. Now that's a genius question, Whiteley. Did he invent the first children's slide? It's something you don't think of. And then when someone says, oh yeah, of course, where, where, where did slides come from? You just assume they've always been around. That is genius. And that is why uh, David Whiteley on Inside Out is always uh, a fantastic watch. Now, this morning we have been exploring the demise of the working men's club across beds, hearts and bucks. BBC Three Counties Radio has found that many of our clubs are facing financial crisis, with around 50% being forced to close in the last 10 years. Well, joining me now is Danny Glass, club singer from Luton, with over 40 years experience. Morning, Danny. Good morning, Ian. Uh, you've been singing in social clubs since since you were 20. That's correct, yeah. I've been, I've been doing the Luton uh, 50 years now. You've not got uh, a Luton accent? No, I'm, I'm Scottish, yeah. come from a little place called Port Glasgow. I've, I've, yeah, I've heard of that, yeah. Have you? It's nice there, isn't it? It's wonderful there. Have you been down here for 50 years? I've been down here for 50 years, but I left Luton for about 11 years. I went to live in the Isle of Wight. Okay. The wife and I, in a little guest house. Why have you got such a strong Scottish, Scottish accent still, then? You know, I... I, I I, I don't really know because I know people that's been down here maybe four or five years and the accent is gone. I've been mm. getting uh, electrocution lessons. <laughs> <laughs> what, how, you got into singing at 20. Why? What, what, what made you start doing that? Well, I, I just love music. Uh, I started playing drums, actually. I'm a drummer, actually. All right. And uh, I joined a little band called Dave Lee and the Mystery Men when I first came down to Lytton. Mm. And it progressed then, and uh, I've joined a, a show band, Skyliner Show Band, very, very great band. Eight of us in the band, I used to tour around the country, Liverpool, Manchester. Mm. And then I formed one band called Danny's Clan, which was a very popular band around the clubs. Used to do a lot of the comedy. I never used to do a lot of singing. I was the one who used to do all the comedy, right. mucking about and... But then uh, I went to Ella White and uh, became a, a solo singer then and uh, done the hotels. You must have had some great times playing the working men's clubs. What, what, what kind of memories stand out I've, for I've, you? I've had great times playing the working men's clubs, especially one club, uh, the Labour Club in Luton, which is a fantastic club. We um, we had great times there. We'd, we knew, we sort of knew quite a lot of people, you know, um, mm. with a good fun and... And, uh, of course, uh, I heard some people saying that um, you couldn't get a seat mm. at 7 o'clock at night. That's quite right. Friday, Saturday or Sunday. Well, it was. The, the, we had people, we've had people saying all morning that, that back in the day, these places were, were rammed. You know, if you didn't get there by 7.30, there, there would be no room for you. That's correct. And I imagine there was a real sense of community as well, because there'd be a lot of regulars there. Oh, there was, yes. I mean, the, the families, the sons, the daughters, and 
uh, mums and dads mm. and uncles and aunts. Oh yes, um, um, the clubs were fantastic, and unfortunately, a lot of the clubs are gone now. Um, well, we've heard fifty percent, about fifty percent in the last yeah. ten years. Where's it gone wrong? Why is it, why is it gone wrong, Danny? Well, uh, myself. Uh, the younger generation now are of um, I think have made their own mind up. They they, they go down to the the, the the nightclubs and pubs and uh, that that's their life. Um, in our days, we're in our twenties. There was no sort of nightclubs then. Mm. It was just clubs. So that's and, and then all these nightclubs have just sprang up and uh, and that, that's that's what's happening. Now listen, you normally sing late at night. In the evenings, I generally sing. I'm, I'm going to retire this year, actually, from singing. I've, I've had enough. Um, You've had enough of it. I've had, not <laughs> enough. I can't to be bothered I'm get, anymore. I'm getting too old for it now, Ian. I'm nearly you're still at, now. You're a young lad. Come I on. Know, I know people keep saying that to me, but when you're on stage, you know your own bones creak. Simon and Simon and Garfunkel are in their seventies. <laughs> yeah, they've got probably got a few more quid than you. I suppose honest. they only do about forty-five minutes spot. Some of the club you do about three-hour spot. Blimey! Listen, but we got, it's it's seven minutes to nine. You're going to sing us a song, are you? I'm going to sing a little uh, country song. Um, uh, I don't know if it's a Hank Lachlan song or not, but uh, it's a lovely song for all the ladies out there who are cooking in the morning and make their husbands their dinner, and it's a little song for them. Get your headphones on, boss. Okay. You tell me when you're ready, and I'll start the music. You, okay, you're, you're comfortable? Go. Here we go. Boom, boom. Come on. We'll have some of that. Yeah. We'll have some of that, won't we? It's a bit early for that. Danny Glass, <laughs> listen, we've got time for a second one. I'm joking, no, we, have, we haven't got time, we haven't got time. <laughs> that would be fan- that was fantastic. And the thing about these old songs, right, everyone yeah. says, oh, I don't know that one. Oh, yes, I do know it. And everyone, yeah. look, we even had um, the, the Laura, the producer, Never. joining in. Yeah. Everyone was joining. David Prever was having a little bop and, over there. And they're very young as well, aren't they're, they? Well, well, one of them is, I'm not saying which well, one. Ollie, yeah. work experience, refused to join oh, right, in. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll have Did words they? with him yeah. afterwards. Unbelievable. What, well, listen, with, with entertainment like that, why are the working men's clubs dying out, Danny? Well, you know, we I, I'm a member of the Celtic Club in Luton, and we had a meeting uh, about a few weeks ago. Yeah. Enticing all the young people to try to get them on the committee. Mm. Because uh, the age of the committee now were like 60s, 70s. It's too old for them now. They want younger mm. blood on the committee. Yeah, of course. So I don't know what the response was, but uh, I know there's quite a few there in the club very concerned. And I hope all the clubs that are listening try to um, try try to get the, the younger people interested in the clubs. I mean, we've got Sky Television nowadays. Yeah, yeah. But it costs a club quite a, quite a lot of money. Danny, are you on Twitter? Yeah. What's your what's your hash, what's your name? No, I'm not. No, you should go and get on Twitter. Yeah. Get get Danny Glass on Twitter. <laughs> you, I can see you can make it. We're getting you back. We're getting you back. Yeah, sir. Reckon. You're yeah. coming back on this show. I enjoyed that. That was exactly what we need. <laughs> Catherine Boyle, who does the news, and she's very she's very clever. Yeah. She's just messaged me. Can we have Danny every week? <laughs> that may be a little bit extreme. Uh, yeah, we're, it would be. But we're definitely getting you yeah. back. Yeah. It's lovely to meet you, boss. Lovely. Thank, thank, thank you very much, Ian. Thank you very much. Lots of love to you and the family. There we thank go. You. What a great way to end the end the week and end the show. Danny Glass. A 
Luton working men's club legend coming in and giving us a song like that. I, I hope you were singing along at home. I really do hope you were singing along at home. I'm so touched we had Danny come in. He's retiring this year. He's retiring. What? Why are working men's clubs closing down? I just don't understand it. I don't understand it. Real live entertainment. That's what you want. Listen, that's it. That's your lot. I'm done for the week. Back on Monday at 6. Do stick around, though, uh, because uh, David Prever is filling in. It's his last show before Jonathan Vernon-Smith comes back. So do be nice to him, please. See you later. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Hey, good-looking. What a great show with Ian. Back Monday morning, 6am. Have a nice weekend.